Operation Red Pill. You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories and getting right to the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears with my co-host Christopher Dean. End of the line. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix. As we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing, Broken Arrow Part 1, The LGBTQ Train. Does loving someone mean we must tolerate and affirm their feelings, or does true love dictate that we must resist ideas and activities that harm individuals and society at large? We're going to talk about this very sticky situation coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Gentlemen, everyone from across the podverse, no matter how you identify, welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we do try to take you beyond conspiracy theories and get you right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. Now, ladies, gentlemen, we have a lot to discuss today. We're going to get into things that may be semi-controversial, but the way we do things around here, we don't hold back. So you got to buckle up. Because we're going to start talking about things like the brainwashing strategy to get Americans to endorse same-sex marriage, as well as the lies and obfuscation of what the same-sex marriage debate is really about. And then we're also going to get to some of the infighting and confusion on how the LGBT and Q can't agree on even basic principles. But before we get into all of that, we got to take care of first things first, and that means introducing my co-host, Mr. Christopher Dean. How's it going, bro? What's happening, baby? How we doing? We're doing all right. Doing all right. It's weird. This is the the first time being back in the studio since my dad passed away. Yeah, it is, man. You know, I I don't think we made an official announcement about that. So to uh, some of our listeners may not even know what happened. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I've been kind of in my own little world. I mean, but you yeah, don't have so- to get into it if you're not comfortable. You know, no pressure. <laughs> No, no, no. I can get into it. Just give a brief recap of the the last couple of months. On April 2nd, my wife gave birth to our baby girl. And about four days later, my dad started feeling sick. No health issues up until this point. He just thought he had a stomach bug or whatever. And that went on for a week, maybe a week and a half. And it wasn't getting any better. And the, the sign for me <laughs> that something was wrong is he had me over to help him load uh, hay into the barn. Mm-hmm. I get over there, I load a couple, and he's like, man, I just, I can't catch my breath. I don't feel good. I was like, all right, sit down. I'll, I'll get the rest of it. No problem. And the dude listened. <laughs> like, my, my dad never stopped working. You know, he could be bleeding out of three limbs and he's like, oh, I'm just going to finish this and then and then I'll sit down. Right. So I was like, no, sit down. I'll, I'll, I'll get it. And he actually sat down. I was like, oh. So something might be a problem. Really, yeah, something might really be going on. So we took him to the doctor and he got blood work and um, blood work was real out of whack. And they were like, you know, based on these numbers, if you feel really sick, you should, or really tired, you should go to the hospital. So he goes to the emergency room and they... They're like, oh, it looks like cancer. They do a biopsy. And uh, I think within two weeks, about two weeks of when Lily was born, uh, they gave my dad a 50% chance of making it six weeks. Wow. Yep. 
Apparently it was, um, see if I can get the name right. Metastasized small cell carcinoma of the lung. And the way that it works is it just constantly sheds the cancer to all other parts of the body. So he actually had lung cancer, but died of liver failure. So from the diagnosis, they gave him six weeks. He made it two and a half. Wow. Yeah. It's been a little bit of a rough time. It has, man. Um, On all of us here at uh, ORB. I mean, I remember when you called me with the news uh, of what was going on with him and trying to process all of that and then getting a personal phone call from him and your mother um, apprising me of the full extent of the situation. It was it was really hard to wrap my mind around all of that because, you know, you had told me, hey, my dad's not feeling well. You just pray for him. I'm like, sure. You know, we, we, we right. do that back and forth between us when we have issues. Um, but for that to translate into going to the hospital and then getting a very, very serious diagnosis and being told that things are pretty much terminal. It, it's amazing how we deal with these topics as Christians, you know, ideas about life and death and all of that. And we deal with them many times in these um, grandiose or, or sometimes abstract manner, manners, right? But mm-hmm. then when it comes to our doorstep, when it touches close to home, sometimes it can throw you completely out of whack. Yeah. And I think that was the thing that happened with me. It was really one of those, you're going to have to accept the reality. And not just like going through the grief where there's a bit of disbelief, but it was more of the larger reality. These, yes, this happens. Death is a real thing. Um, right. The afterlife is a real thing. And yeah, you need to have your affairs in order. You do not know the day that you that you can die. So you need to live each day to its fullest. Like it was a lot mm-hmm. of different things that we talked about that just came rushing in at that moment with you know within the these few weeks that really made this Christian walk so palatable. Yeah. But I think the other yeah, thing been- that was that was really cool was um getting a chance to talk to your dad before he passed away. What'd you talk to him about? <laughs> I think you and I were having a conversation. Um, in the same space where he was, cause he was, he was resting. And so okay. you, you and I, I believe we're, we're there and we were kicking around some idea. I think we were talking about, um, marriage coincidentally, not between us. You, you have to put that <laughs> disclaimer out there nowadays. Yes, you do. Um, and I, I can't remember the exact nature of what we were talking about. Do you? Um, was it the scenario that if God gives you another chance in the millennium to pick oh, the same yes. spouse? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, we were rushing, we were uh, tossing around this idea, like, if you got a chance to do things over in the millennial reign of Christ, would you live your life in such a way that your spouse, if they were given another chance to remarry or even stay single, would they pick you? Would they want to go through being married to you all over again? Uh-huh. Which is a very provocative idea. You know, I'm not it saying is, that is. there's marriage in the millennial kingdom or whatever. I, you know, I don't want people writing us for that. You can write us for other stuff. That ain't what I'm saying. <laughs> but just as a thought exercise, I thought it was interesting to reflect if the way I live my life, 
Is it such that if a person who married me was given a second chance, would they choose to stay married to me again? Or would they be like, nah, let me roll the dice on someone else. Or would they even pick the third one of I'm good. I just want to be single. (laughs) Give (laughs) me my freedom back. Jesus, please. (laughs) (laughs) This man has driven me into the ground. You know, and uh, as we were just doing what we do, you know, tossing an idea around and examining it, your dad out of nowhere just chimed in with this huge gem where he was like, you know, I, I couldn't imagine being married to anyone else but Kathy. Even when we fight, you know, even when we had our darkest of times, some of the stuff you alluded to in your testimony episode. Uh-huh. Like, even through that, nope, there was nobody else. There, there's no way. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And then yeah, I, that's really we, cool. we switched topics, and I asked him this question. And you know me. I ask questions, but I also ask stuff you're not probably supposed to ask. <laughs> yeah. Right? So here, sure. here's your dad. He's terminal. He's, he's dying. But at this point, he's not, like, at death's door. But he's in the neighborhood. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's accepted his, his more, what is it, mortality? He's, he's accepted yeah. the fact that he's going to die. He's even chosen to forego certain medical treatments. And it's just like, I'm, I'm good. I'm ready. I've lived a great life. And mm-hmm. so I just turned to him. I was like, Damon, I know I'm probably not supposed to ask you this. He goes, go ahead, son. Ask. And I was like, all right. You open the door. I was like, are you afraid of dying? Immediately, I can hear everybody just throw their hands. I'm like, oh, you're not supposed to ask that. What is wrong <laughs> with you? You insensitive feet. And uh, without missing a beat, he said, he looks me straight in the face and he goes, absolutely not. I said, really? And he goes, no, I know what's going to happen when I die. I know I'm going to see Jesus. I know that I'm going to meet people that have gone on before me. And I can't wait to meet my savior. And I was like, you and Christopher Dean really are one and the same. (laughs) Like nothing else here to hold you? Nothing else. You ready to go? Blast off. He's like, can we leave now? Like he literally told me, he's like, I don't want to be selfish, but really, I'd go today. Yeah, I, I remember that. And I was like, that is is fascinating to me. Something I know I'm going to hold on to for my life. That's cool. You know, having that reality, not being afraid of dying. I think that's that's so important. But more so than that, it was the next thing he said that really got my attention. He said, out of everything... I wish I had known earlier in my life that Jesus Christ really is the only thing that matters. Period. Nothing else really matters. Yeah. And there was such a fervency and genuineness to what he was saying, such an urgency to it, that like if you can't communicate any other idea to me on this planet for me to hold on to while I'm here, this is what you want to leave with me. Yeah. It really hit home. And then he laid down and relaxed. And that was probably one of the <laughs> last conversations I had with him. Yeah, it, it surprised me because a lot of times I thought that he was maybe a little bit too passive. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was a great listener, but I was like, say something back, you know. Uh, but we, we had everyone over um, to get pictures with him before things turned too bad. And... Uh, he was weak, you know, we had to help him up to the pond and and things like that and spent most of the day just sitting around because he was so tired. But when given an opportunity to talk, 
he thanked everyone for coming and, you know, appreciated being surrounded with love, but wanted to make sure that everyone knew that the most important thing was Jesus. Right. And, and it floored me because that's not, I mean, I knew he was a Christian. I knew he loved Jesus, but that's not the, the pedestal that he stood on, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. he just kind of quietly lived that way. But in those last moments that literally his last breaths were so precious that he, and, and, and the message was so important that that's what he wanted to tell people. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It also, for me, helped to solidify the fact that there are, if Jesus is the most important thing for us to wrap our minds around, then it also has to be one of the most important ideas and topics under attack. Yeah, for sure. And there's so many tangential or related topics that tie in to Jesus Christ as the creator and sustainer and redeemer of all things, that it's almost impossible then to deal with any other provocative issue in life without it being firmly attached to the person and character and word of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Which makes it a little difficult to navigate sticky topics. (laughs) It does. Yeah. You know, so what we had planned on getting into this month, given the fact that it is Pride Month, we're like, listen, we've got to talk about this issue because this is going to be one of the issues that is going to be front and center in the minds of 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 most of the people in, in the Western world celebrating, quote unquote, pride, but really celebrating homosexuality and everything that goes right. along with it. And for 30, what, 30, 31 days, how many days are in the month of June? Um, this is Something like that. Yeah, this is what's going to be front and center. This is what we're going to be talking about. This is what's going to be paraded in front of us. No pun intended. I mean, yeah, they're going to be parades, but this is the type of, <laughs> you know, content and topic and rhetoric that we're going to see promoted on television by companies, all sorts of stuff like that. And I was right. like, there's no way that can happen. And we not address it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was on board for, for one episode in the month of June. <laughs> that's, all, that's all you the, had to stop it for? <laughs> just one episode? Well, no. Like you, it was it was just interesting because normally I'm the one with this, this idea that I'm pushing, right? Yeah. Like I got to sell you on the episode. And you were just so matter of fact about this whole thing. You were like, this is what we're doing. And this is what we're covering for four straight weeks in June. And I'm over here sweating going for four weeks. Yeah. I remember all the Wednesdays. Yeah, (laughs) Like forever, ever, forever, ever. (laughs) You, you want to do every one of them Wednesdays. Yes. We don't get a break. No, but the idea is that we're under fire. We're not going to get a break. No, you're right. I mean, I'm 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 here doing it, but you did have to push me a little bit. Right? I get it. Here's the ironic thing. I I there was a strong part of me that really didn't want to go into this topic. Same. For a number of reasons. Um the pushback is a real is a real concern. Um mm-hmm. because things are becoming more and more polarized and more serious as you take a position on either end of this, this topic. And the other thing was that you don't, 
on one hand, you don't want to offend people, right? I don't know what this is. There's like this pressure of not offending. You don't mm-hmm. want to be offended. What is it that Vody Bauckham says the 11th commandment is you have to be kind and you don't care about the other 10? Oh, I thought it was thou shalt not offend. Oh, okay. That's that, That'll work. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, I think that, that is definitely the 11th commandment, and especially in our culture. Mm-hmm. And, and you're you're doubly offensive if you're standing on truth. Yeah. And so if we're going to take the whole month of June and talk, we're going to talk from a position of truth, which means inherently we're going to be offensive. It's not something I really wanted to undertake. Right. People don't tend to listen well and react well to people they're offended by. And ironically, true. Jesus proved this to us because they killed him for being offensive, amongst other things. Yeah. You know, you can't call somebody a brood of vipers and expect to escape with your head. <laughs> you know, white, what, what is it? Whitewashed sepulchers? Yeah. I'm like, uh, if he'd have been in our era, I'm like, I'm sorry, Christ, listen, um, those are not white sepulchers. You know, you have to pick a color neutral. I believe cream-based would be more appropriate. We don't want to offend the white folks that are listening. And you certainly can't say they're black sepulchers. That, that's not going to work. Okay? So we're say beige, maybe off-white. Nobody really self-identifies as off-white. You're safe there. And Jesus didn't pull that's any funny. punches. Right. Right? And anytime you talk about this topic, there's always the, the pull and the expectation that you have to deliver a disclaimer. Something along mm-hmm. the lines of, listen, I've got gay friends. I've got gay family members. I have a gay coworker that I have lunch with. This is all hypothetical. And <laughs> I'm not trying to offend anyone. And then you go into your spiel. And this seems to be the right. only thing in society that we have to give this disclaimer for. Mm-hmm. If we talk Do you about- remember Vody? Sorry, not to, not to cut you no, off. Ahead, but do you remember... Ahead. Well, Vody was talking about it. And he's like, could you imagine if we gave this disclaimer to other things? Right. Like, I know some adulterers, and I, I'm friends with some adulterers. Right. So I don't want to offend anyone. I but even this have is him just over what I my have house to say. with my own wife. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my wife? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Yeah, but you you feel this. He, he was he was 100% spot on. It was like this drive that you have to apologize for this. And mm-hmm. listening to that, I said, you know what? If we ever deal with this topic, I'm not making that mistake. Right. I'm not making a mistake yeah. of apologizing for stating beliefs that I not only genuinely believe to be true, I believe them to be biblically accurate. Right. right? Now, there's a difference I think people have to understand between being offensive and being rude. They're uh-huh. not one and the same. See, I don't want to be rude, which would mean, you know, not not taking into account or being considerate of my delivery of what I'm saying and the impact that it would have. Right. I don't want to do that and cause unnecessary injury. But I also am not going to backtrack or soft sell having to deliver the truth. Because it's absolutely needed. It's the one thing that our society is really craving. Yeah. And if we don't deal with it, who will? Right. Who's going to tell the the truth? Yeah, I mean, we're here to tell the truth. And the other thing that I didn't want to do, as uncomfortable as it is, because of the pushback, because of the fact that it's such an unpopular topic, 
you introduced me to the show The West Wing. Mm-hmm. And one of the great, I think, episodes in the first season is when there's a, a lady sitting down when, when President Bartlett goes by and he decides that he's going to uh, make an example out of her, right? Yeah. When the president stands, everyone Nobody stands. Sits. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that episode. But he calls her out because she's a radio personality about her stance on homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's like, so do you, do you think this? And she goes, I don't think it. The, the Bible does. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. I wish I could spend more than a few minutes with you, but the polls don't close in the East for another hour. There are plenty of election results still left to falsify. (laughs) You know, with so many people participating in the political and social debate through call-in shows, it's a good idea to be reminded every once in a while. It's a good idea to be reminded of the awesome impact, the awesome impact. I'm sorry, uh, you're Dr. Jenna Jacobs, right? Yes, sir. It's good to have you here. Thank you. The awesome impact of the airwaves and how that translates into the furthering of our national discussions, but obviously also how it can, how it can, forgive me, Dr. Jacobs, are you an MD? A PhD. A PhD. Yes, sir. In psychology? No, sir. Theology? No. Social work? I have a PhD in English literature. I'm asking because on your show, people call in for advice, and you go by the name Dr. Jacobs on your show, and I didn't know if maybe your listeners were confused by that and assumed you had advanced training in psychology, theology, or healthcare. I don't believe they are confused, no, sir. Good. I like your show. I like how you call homosexuality an abomination. I don't say homosexuality is an abomination, Mr. President. The Bible does. Yes, it does. Leviticus. 18.22. Chapter and verse. While you may be mistaking this for your monthly meeting of the ignorant, tight-ass club, in this building, when the president stands, nobody sits. And I was like, oh, I don't like that. Yeah. Because, you know, we've talked on, uh, I think it was the um, Christian Conspiracy Coalition, that there's a difference between believing and following. And if we're following, then we don't get to sidestep and and put the burden on someone else. Oh, I didn't say it. The Bible does. But if we base our lives off of it, if we're actually following Jesus, not following Christianity, then we have we have to say it too. We we do. And here's the thing: if again, if we're not saying it, someone else is saying the opposite. Mm-hmm. That has been one of the 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 most significant motivators for me to get into what we're going to talk about today, because there is actual, not just legislation, there's actual documents that have been written articulating the goals, not just of one or two homosexuals, if you will, not just of a a couple people who espouse homosexual uh, activities and lifestyles, but this has been written as marching orders for a wide group of people that mm-hmm. has very, very long reaching and detrimental consequences to it. And the hope is that nobody talks back against it. 
Right. There's no place where they're backing down. So I'm not talking about necessarily just the person around the corner that says, hey, you know what I do in my house shouldn't affect you. I'm really talking about the people who are savvy enough to organize people into an actual movement. And movements go places. They don't just stand still. Movements have the ability to drag societies with them. Mm -hmm. Which makes them huge platforms that we must consider their orientation, like where they're aimed and directed, and their destination, where this this whole train stops. Because one of the things that's actually stood out to me in doing all of this research, not just here, but in other places that we've addressed this in our podcast, is that that, that person down the street that, that's just buying into these ideas is being taken for a ride. Like they're being hijacked and used for these other things that we're talking about. They're being taken advantage of. So it's just as much out of compassion for those people that are being abused as it is against the the agendas and the intent behind these movements that you're talking about. Absolutely, which is why I think the title of these, these series is so important because for the next, what, four weeks... Uh-huh. We're going to be talking about the LGBTQ movement and looking at arguments for that support that movement, uh, arguments that detract from it, and looking at also where we're at now on this this course of events, on this train, if you will, and where we're going, and also be dealing with, is there a stowaway? hitting along on this train. So I think it'll yep. be really good for us to get into some of these, these ideas and chop them up, you know, get into the mechanics of what really makes this stuff work. What are we really being sold? Uh, and I, th- I am hoping that as people listen to it, they will listen from that perspective and not necessarily a personal attack perspective. Right. I'm hoping right. they'll consider the merits of the position and not necessarily their feelings about the topic. Yeah. Which means if they do that, one of the things that they definitely can't do is get caught up in political correctness. Which is why I think Frank Turk's book that we're basing this off of is so ingeniously entitled. Because it's called Mm -hmm. Correct, Not Politically Correct. Yep. You've been talking about this book for a while. It, no pun intended, blew my mind. (laughs) It, It really did, because... I thought, okay, here, here's one of the things that I notice when we deal with these topics. I normally have my feelings about it, and contrary to popular belief, many times my feelings contradict my biblical position, right? They contradict my, my Christian stance. Now, and I think okay. about what I'm saying. If, I think if, if most Christians are honest, what the Bible says that we're supposed to do and think about a topic is probably not the same as how we personally think and feel about the topic. Okay, that's fair. And not just in this area, in, in, in a plethora of areas. Exactly. In fact, if it wasn't that way, there'd be no need for Jesus to be talking about put on the mind, put on my mind. Start thinking how I think about things. Mm-hmm. Right? I love what Dan Duvall once said. I am only as correct as to the degree of alignment I've achieved with the way that God thinks and views things. Yeah, that's dope. That is a profound statement, which means in a lot of areas, I'm probably not correct. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But we're coming into that alignment 
to make sure that we are properly aligned with Scripture because we want to be uh-huh. correct from from a Christ-centered perspective. True. You cannot do that and maintain political correctness. You can't. But my issue with political correctness is that it's a logical fallacy on its own. Oh, I was hoping you would bring this up. You got to explain that. So early on in our friendship, you had introduced me to some materials and things about logic. As and a disclaimer, fallacies. this is not. Wow. <laughs> I introduced you to fallacies. I'm hoping that's what you said, not phallics. Yeah, fallacies. Okay, thank you. That's very important. I don't want them to think <laughs> I introduced you to the wrong thing. But why I, why I had interjected is I didn't want people to think that the only reason I wanted you to talk about this was because I introduced you to something. I just wanted you oh, to bring no, up no, no, logical no. fallacies because I, I love when you do political correctness because I often forget that it's a logical fallacy. Right. So you introduced me just to the to the concept. So I, on my own, decided to do research, and I found this master list of logical fallacies. So I was reading through them, and I could not believe that political correctness is on the list, the master list of logical fallacies. Right. Now, what and makes it a, a fallacy? The fact that you can't change the reality of something by changing the name that you give it. Hmm. So I, I believe it's a violation of the thirst, the first law of logic, the law of identity. You just upended an entire movement. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's just, that's the truth of it. That's the logic. So anything that is using political correctness to achieve its means is illogical. Okay, now this is funny. So what you're telling me is that we live in a culture and society that runs off of rhetoric designed to be politically correct, which is espoused by politicians that typically hold a law degree, which means they're educated in logic and arguing and have to know that by them pushing political correctness, they are pushing a logical fallacy. Is that what you're telling me? Oh, yeah. They would have to know. All right. We're not done with the episode, but that's got to be about 50% of it. (laughs) I mean, that's a big part of it. Yeah. It's what they use to control people. You know, just like Orwell's 1984, if you can change the language that people are, are allowed to use, you change the thoughts that they're having. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it's not good. No, because then that would, well, I think we've touched on this in, in prior episodes. That really helps to explain the reduction in linguistic capacity of the average person. You know, m- most people no longer really hold a, a diverse or verbose vocabulary. True. They're not that loquacious. <laughs> not everybody can be you, Jason. <laughs> I'm not that loquacious either. I'm just the walking to source or some other sort of dinosaur. Dinosaurs dead. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, as, if, as the, the public dialogue has been reduced further and further, almost now down to us using what do they call those um, hieroglyphs? We're almost at the point of using mitigated hieroglyphs, right? With emojis. Yeah. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I like emojis. They do help to communicate a specific emotion that I'm having, but I, I have never constructed an entire sentence out of just emojis. I'm going to start texting you like that. With just emojis? <laughs> just emojis. Now, I'm going to find, I'm going to find the emoji with the middle finger and I'm going to text it back to you <laughs> on repeat. Oh, that's funny. 
But but you understand what I'm saying? As, as we've gotten conditioned to just express ourselves, even on an emotional level, with five basic emotions, which has been purported through social media, right? Uh-huh. We're reducing our ability to think complexly about multifaceted topics. Right. Because our language is changing. We don't really have the means to express the idea. And when you can't do that, it begins to not only frustrate a person, but it begins to change the way that they think about things. It oversimplifies it. Right. I would agree. I, I think we a good example of that is just with love. You know, you go back to the Greeks, they had five, what, five different words for love? I can never remember I think the number. four or five. I can't what Four is or it? five. What is it? Eros, um, phileo, which is brotherly love, agape, which is godly love. Um, there's another one. So I think there's four, but I'm forgetting one. Yeah, there's a, at least four. Yeah. But at that point, we we only have one word for love. So the way that we feel about microwave pizza and the way that we feel about our spouse kind of falls under this. And it, and it distorts exactly what love is supposed to be. I would really you know? love my spouse with extra cheese. <laughs> Lightly toasted. <laughs> With a little bit of dough on the back end. <laughs> and those are all the words I had, okay? I couldn't express anything further. No, it was good. I'm having trouble like trying to continue my train of thought <laughs> without, without picturing this. This beautiful pizza that I just created. Yeah, pizza. Because I like pizza and I love my spouse. <laughs> right. But no, so... It distorts, you know, what love is, and because it, we have to be so vague because of the limited language, we we lose what it's supposed to mean. Like now in society, we think that love is just affirming feelings, right? Right. Or at least I feel like the, that's correct. Exactly. But the truth is that love requires us to stand in opposition to behavior that will likely hurt our loved ones. In other words, it is unloving to enable or endorse destructive behavior. That's not how it's seen in society today. Right, right. You know what, dude? I just found those four um, types of love. Eros is where where we get erotic or passionate love. Then there's uh, phileo, which has nothing to do with fellatio. But that's the love of friends and equals. So like Philadelphia, that's where that word kind of gets, you know, the city of brotherly love. That's where it gets its name from. Then there's agape, uh, which is a love of mankind or the love of God. And then there's storge, which is like love of, of parents or children. So okay. that was the fourth one I forgot was storge. Nice. Yep. That was going to really bother me. What if you if you didn't have those answers? Yeah, I really hate it when there's a list of things that I can only remember part of it. So you mentioned a, a, a book or a document that highlighted like how – the the homosexual agenda was going to be played out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wasn't hundred percent sure. Was it is it after the ball? Is that the one that you're talking about? No, uh, that's one of them. And after the ball was done, I believe uh, 1988. Uh, in order to begin to codify a series of ideas on how homosexuals could actually begin to take over society and convert society, ultimately convert heterosexuals into homosexuals but it was a very art well not just well articulated it was a very documented uh 
a plan and approach on how to achieve a conversion of society. But there's another document that we'll get into a little bit later that I was actually referring to, which I okay. think spells the intention of the homosexual movement and those that are responsible for cultivating it, what they really want to do. Okay. Okay. I, I wasn't sure I what, after, what document you were talking about. Yeah, I think after the ball is more so dealing with the, the how. Right, because the, the subtitle is How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. Right. Which is an interesting yeah, subtitle we, because it implies then that any op- opposition to this idea is based in fear and hatred. Right. Those are the only options that you're given. Right. You've already structured the argument. And you already actually started uh, to brainwash people when they read that title. Because if we think about it, that title is actually reminiscent and reflective of the second stage in the brainwashing sequence. Jamming. Exactly. You don't, when jamming is defined as when you take a person that's in opposition to an idea you want to push, you equate the opposition to something that they despise and don't want to be identified with. So in- Right, like any- Go ahead. Any politician you don't like is Hitler. Right, or racist. Essentially. Racist, Nazi, yeah, whatever. Whether they are or not, you group them in with those people- you do, so, and if you're clever about it, you put new on the front of it. Ah, oh, you must be a, a neo-Nazi. Oh, you're a neo-communist. You might not be like the original <laughs> communist, but you're definitely within the vein of communist, which means somewhere along the line, you're a bad, evil person. Right? You, you, that's what you yeah, do. Yeah. And then the person wants to backtrack because they don't want to be uh, identified with that group. It's a very, a very effective strategy. Well, the same right. thing is being used here in that subtitle teaching America to get over their fear and hatred of gays. One, it immediately assumes that that's all America has when it comes to how America views homosexuals or homosexuality, mm-hmm. when there is a difference between homosexual and homosexuality. And it's very yes. important to keep the distinction between the two. One is an uh-huh. idea. One is a person that has accepted an idea is acting upon it. Those are two right. very different things. That's a good point. All that being, thank you. All that being said, when you take the argument and restrict it down to just fear and hatred, the person reading that might have an internal dialogue that occurs that goes, I don't want to be seen as a person that hates gays or is afraid of them. So uh-huh. whatever I do, I need to make sure I don't come across that way. And if supporting legislation that is anti what this movement is trying to push, then maybe I need to second, you know, give that a second thought and maybe consider supporting it as opposed to opposing it because I don't right, want to be but, fearful and hateful. Exactly. But it's not just in the title because uh, it was written by Marshall Kirk, who was a, uh, a neuropsychologist and um, Hunter Madsen, who was an advertising executive. And they specifically used the three stages of brainwashing to execute this plan over the population of America, not just in the title. Right. But desensitizing, jamming, and conversion, that was their plan on how America would conquer its quote-unquote fear and hatred of gays in the 90s. Brainwashing. Now, when I hear this, the first thing I do is I get a little incensed. Okay. Just a little, not much. And the reason is, This is no longer an emotional conversation. 
as soon as they use the four letter word, let me run that through my head and make sure it's four letters. Yes, it is. <laughs> as soon as they use the four letter word of plan, this now becomes intentional. Emotion no longer enters into the argument for me or the conversation. Right. This is not about how I feel about what's happening behind closed doors. This is now about is what's happening behind closed doors part of an orchestrated effort to move me from one place to another. Yeah. If they try yeah, to move on that me, train. Right, right. If they're trying to move me, then I got to get like Denzel Washington gets in some of his movies. Get your hands off me. Exactly. I got to get that quiver exactly. and lip too. Just don't, don't you touch me. Don't move me. <laughs> Especially don't you move me without my say-so. Right. And that's what's happening. We are being, it used to be subtly pushed. Now we are being intentionally herded towards a very specific goal. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're literally Absolutely. dealing with 1% of the population is now controlling, in many respects, on this issue, 99% of the rest of the population. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and Frank Turk, in his book, he talks about a lot of confusion on what the debate is about and what it's not about. Do you I remember think that's that always an important thing. Yeah, I think that's always an important thing to be able to discern what is this thing, what are we really talking about? All right? right. I need to know what we're talking about, but it's equally important to know what are we not talking about. Right. And he, he highlights it here. He says it's not about equality or equal rights. It's not about discrimination against a class of people. It's not about denying homosexuals the ability to commit to one another. It's not about love or private relationships. It's not about tolerance or intolerance. It's not about bigotry or homophobia. It's not about sexual orientation or being born a certain way. It's not about race or the civil rights struggle. It's not about interracial marriage. It is not about heterosexuals and divorce. It is not about the separation of church and state. And it's not even about religion. And you know, for homosexuals. Point, oh, go ahead. Point, like, what the heck is it even about? <laughs> yeah. So, but I was going to say for homosexuals, it's not even about marriage. Because um, as data from countries with same-sex marriage show, approximately 96% of homosexuals don't get married when they're given the opportunity. Wow. And those that do get married break up at much higher rates than heterosexuals. Now, why isn't that being covered in the national narrative? Because it's not, it doesn't fit into their brainwashing propaganda campaign. Okay. So what is it really about, you ask? Yeah. Since most homosexuals, right, right, right. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. All right. All right. I'll be patient. <laughs> Since most homosexuals don't want to get married or stay married, then why are homosexual activities so adamant, sorry, since most homosexuals don't want to get married or stay married, then why are homosexual activists so adamant about government recognition of same-sex marriage? Because same-sex marriage will win them what they really want, and that's validation and normalization. That's what it's about. All right. Now, that pushes the question for me. Is this just about being validated or normalized on a social, social political level? Or is it about validation and normalization that has consequences that reach further 
than just the boundary of politics and society? Oh, I think it reaches way further. So and I then, think what has to be accomplished for validation and normalization to happen, the destruction that happens in the wake of that, is, is also something that needs to be looked at. Right, because it would seem as though if it's just about let me rephrase. One of the effective means of that I've seen in rhetoric and in argumentation is using rhetoric to constantly direct and reshape the argument, but direct and reshape the mind. You can use rhetoric almost like a blocker to say nothing to see here. Right. Don't look behind the curtain. That's what the rhetoric okay. helps to do. Like this is the boundary line. It's all you can see. There's nothing behind the curtain. Let's keep going. And I think as people learn to take apart the rhetoric, they learn to accept the reality that there's more going be going on behind the scenes than what I'm being told. So if the right. rhetoric here right. is validation and normalization, and we know that there's probably more going on behind the scenes, the sharp mind has to ask, what is going on? What's the point of just being validated and normalized? That cannot be the end goal. That can't be, you know, what do they call that? Uh, a means within itself. You don't think? No. It's unto <laughs> something. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, figure, dude, that's like all we do here. We point out the fact that, yo, you thought it was this. Uh-uh. <laughs> it was about that. This just helps get you to that. Right. No, it's just funny because the, the, the speed at which we attack this whole thing because it started with all these things that people argue about because this is what they think that it's about. And then then we break it down to really what's what should be debated in validation and normalization and you're like, "Nah, we're not even stopping here. Let's just take it all the way past cuz cuz that's not it either." That was fantastic. That's funny, man. Well, the question becomes, <laughs> why validate, why normalize? This is how you know it's not the end. Right. That that's a good point. There's a reason you need this validated. There's a reason you need it normalized. There is a reason that our culture was put under the assault plan of the the Frankist. They, they, they come out of the, the, the uh, Frankfurt School. And their goal that they talked about in the early 1950s was how can they take apart America, which at that point was was still running on Christian values, not to say it's a Christian country, not to say that it's a biblically Christian nation, but just saying that its culture, its its citizens still held to, in many respects, Christian ideals. How do we strip them of that? I mean, we've already gone pretty far and we've helped to, to really obfuscate the person of Jesus Christ, but we need to go further and obfuscate the morals that he declared, right? How do we do that so that we can take this country that the world sees as Christian and we can discredit it, destroy it, and out of the destruction following this Illuminati-esque plan, out of the destruction birth new order, right? Birth a, a society that runs on different rules, that does not run on Judeo-Christian values. How do we do it? Well, they came up with this brilliant idea as most people do who are antithetical you know, to God and are hell-bent on seeing values and ideas that he does not espouse and are not biblically uh, supported getting seated throughout society. They came up with this brilliant idea called polymorphic sexual perversity. 
I was hoping you were going to go there. I wasn't I was planning like, I, on th- it. There, there's, this, there's this phrase I can't ever remember, but he better bring it out. I was not planning on this at all. So I don't know why you <laughs> helped try to get, you know, you Jedi mind tricked me <laughs> into talking about this. <laughs> I was wondering why you were waving your hand. I was like, is that a new code? What, what is that? What mean? do you do with waving your hand around like that? <laughs> well, yeah, because after they do that, don't they normally say something? <laughs> yeah, they do. Right, and then the person's supposed to repeat it. You just waved your hand. I was like, Well, you Hi. already did it, so. <laughs> <laughs> we have to work on our Jedi mind tricking. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at it. Oh, that's funny. Um, but, yeah, they, they came up with this idea called polymorphic sexual perversity. It was the idea that you need to to begin to instill into American culture sexual freedom in order to erode the moral fabric of the American society. So anything sexual goes, anything that is against the traditionally held sexual values, which is coded language for biblical sexual standards, anything that goes against that is what we're going to try to normalize. And again, it wasn't about just normalization. It was about the corruption of the society. Right. Now, why do you want to corrupt a society? You need to corrupt a society in order to bring about something else. And this is very important. What you need to bring about is a society that is wholly accepting of the conditions necessary for the replacement Christ to not only be presented, but to flourish. So it's like morally terraforming society to Ooh, make way for that is a wonderfully I don't have the right words. <laughs> oh, that is a brilliant that phrased idea. Yes. Thanks. Not just moral terrifying, but moral terraforming. Yes. I love it. We got to find a way bro. to get that onto a shirt. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but that's exactly what's being done. And it's not just being done, like I, like I keep pointing out, it's not being done just to do it. It's not being done just because these, these uh, what does uh, Catalyst say, these uh, parasitic elites. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just being done because the parasitic elites have this idea and this is just their flavor of the month. It's being done to bring about their God. That's yep. the thing. If you don't see the plumb line going through from the propaganda that you see on TV all the way through to what I just explained, then you don't understand the this situation at hand. Right. It's not about the bedroom. It's about the altar. It's about the gods. That's what this is really about. We have the, the goal is to get society to a place that they not only clamor, they crave a replacement. They crave like like um who was this? Aldous Huxley said, "They they will they they not only accept their servitude, they'll rejoice in it." I think yeah. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but essentially, right. you're not but that, going it's, this to is fight. Sentiment. Right, you're not going to fight your servitude. You're going to welcome it. Right, you mm-hmm. need to welcome this religious and political figures that will be pointing to the replacement for Jesus Christ. And the only way you could do that is to change the values and ideas of a society. Well, which also has the ramification of changing the environment of society and make it so that either one of two things happen, if not both. 
one, the people clamor for a replacement that you've already got the solution to, or the people's actions bring a judgment against them that destroy the people anyway. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. It is. This is why we got to talk about it. And unfortunately, I don't waste 50 minutes pontificating. Go ahead, my friend. <laughs> no, no, it was excellent. And I think another way to show... Now, it's interesting because um, Frank Turek in his book, he doesn't hit the spiritual side. He doesn't hit you know all the this extra flavor that ORP is putting on it. Yeah, he's just basically dealing with the the practical aspects of it. Yeah, I think he's dealing which mostly is, is, with same sex marriage and why there's a problem with that idea. Right, but we're kind of opening up and expanding it a little bit, and to to hit a little bit harder. You were talking about how it's religious. I I, I was uh, you've talked about witchcraft before, right? Yeah. We and both how there's have. stages of witchcraft? Yeah, yeah, we both have. But but you brought up to me that there's three main tenets of witchcraft. So it's it's terrifying enough that in After the Ball, they're utilizing the three stages of brainwashing to convert society. Okay. But if you look at the whole thing, After the Ball highlights that they are intentionally trying to manipulate people, right? So we've got manipulation. Okay. And if you look at where this agenda shows up, it's all over the media, all over the news. It's hard to find a streaming service that doesn't have several series dedicated to this agenda, right? So it's like dominating the airwaves. It's dominating the airwaves. Ooh, that's domination. It's domination. Okay. And now we've moved into you fall in line or else. Because Drew Misson had shared something that... um, Sexuality and um, gender are now actually covered in Victoria's hate speech laws. So you're committing hate speech if you denigrate these anyone's sexuality or gender. Oh wow! That that's intimidation. Yeah. So we got manipulation, domination, and intimidation. That's all. That's three witchcraft. aspects of witchcraft. Yeah. Now, no one, dude. That's 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 brilliant. Nobody. Have I heard talk about the fact? I can't say nobody. Uh, in mainstream circles, I haven't heard anyone bring up the idea that one, this is spiritual, and two, specifically, it is witchcraft being enacted on the public. Right. And even we, like we you just be- said, because I want to reinforce this, it's not just about enacting witchcraft. The witchcraft is being done to, I don't want to say manipulate, it's being done to move society to a place that they will accept their servitude. They will accept the Antichrist who comes to the scene. And before he comes to the scene, the spirit of the Antichrist has to rule. That means the environment, as we were saying a moment ago, has got to be terraformed to the point that he can come and take take over in that environment, in that area, and be, be accepted and worshiped. Right. It's got to reflect him. And it's starting to look a lot like him. It's scary. Exactly. And in and, and the, the process is, is relatively clever. Like you've said before, we have to appreciate the mind of our enemy, right? I think you do. I think it's a huge mistake to be so, I'll say, religious that you can't say that your enemy is brilliant. Because if you don't have a healthy anticipation of your opponent, how do you prepare to counterattack? Right. You got to know who you're dealing with, right? It's yeah, one you of got the, to. It's one of the things I appreciate about the the war between the United... Well, it wasn't a real war, but let's just say the competition, if you will, 
between the United States and the USSR. Okay. They both had a healthy respect for each other. You knew that you weren't dealing with pushovers. Okay. Them blasted red Russians, they done got us, they done got Sputnik up, and you don't know what they can do with Sputnik's up there. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sputnik's like a little tin can going around. Doesn't matter. They can drop a rock and hit the White House. We got to get the space race going. And meanwhile, right. they're over there looking at the Americans. What are they developing next? Them capitalist sons of guns. <laughs> right? And this whole war starts, but there still is a healthy respect for your opponent. I think we make a grave miscalculation when we don't take into account the ingenious nature of the campaigns being enacted against us by spiritual superpowers. Right. Now, I won't call them superpowers. I won't give them too much credit. By spiritual powers. Okay. That's good. Like, like one of the things that I think is clever is the whole normalization idea. Okay. Like, how do you normalize something that's not normal? Well, you use words like new normal. <laughs> well, yeah, you could do that, especially if you're forcing it on a bunch of people. Well, I think the other but thing, like, though, you have to... I didn't mean to cut you off, dude. No, go ahead. Uh, you have to, I think, decide what normal means. I guess the first real thing you got to do, like, is normal, uh, are you basing normal on occurrence or by design? Because if you're going to get people to accept a new normal, you have to figure out, are you going to get them to accept that because this occurs so frequently, it appears as as normal to them? Or are you going to redesign things so that you can call this normal? (laughs) What? You got this look on your face. No, it's funny because sometimes I get lost when you explain that. I'm not going to lie. For whatever reason, it there's there's a, a a mental hurdle that I have to jump over. Did it make sense though that time? It did, and I had this really ridiculous like movie going on in my head to explain it. Right. So like cars are, cars are not intended to leak gasoline by design, right? Right. They are designed to hold gasoline and then use it a particular way. Well, if yours is leaking and you want to normalize leaking gasoline, then you got to put a hole in everyone else's fuel tank. You do. And then it's then it becomes normal. Now they're yeah. n- they were never supposed to function that way. At and all. it is horrible. But, but you hey, know what? everybody's doing it. Right, you bring it into your mechanic, you're like, "Hey, I got a problem. What's the matter? My car leaks." Psh, man, we got real issue, dude. That's normal. All cars That's leak. normal. Everybody's, Everybody's car's leaking, dude. Like, come on here. Get out of here. I'm, I'm trying to do real things. You know, I got to replace the transmission. Right. I got trannies out here that are blowing up. It, it's. I think it's the same way that the, um, the United Nations promises to, uh, like, eradicate poverty, right? Okay. You just make everybody poor. Right? Like it, these ideas we think, oh, we're stepping up. Oh, we're getting better when it's really about breaking down everything that's in place. And it's the same with homosexual or same-sex marriage. The only way that that can be normalized is you have to break down the institutions of marriage that are already in place. Otherwise, it's never going to be normal. So why break down? Let me ask this. Why break down and even focus on the institution of marriage? Because it's essential to a... Um, civilized nation. The nuclear family. You need a bow tie when you say this. (laughs) You need to straighten up all your bow tie and be like, a civilized society. A civilized society. There you go. You you didn't have the Grey Poupon accent, though. 
<laughs> you need that. It's stimulating. But yeah, it's the same. I mean, it's called a nuclear family for a reason because it makes up the nucleus of a nation. Exactly. It structures itself for procreation. It is best suited to raise children. I, I mean, statistically, throughout culture, throughout history, this is this is the case. This is the the essential building block of a successful civilized nation. Exactly. And I think Turk actually points out there there are three structurally critical institutions to a society. One is the nuclear okay. family. The second one is is uh, government, and the third one is church. Yes, you need all three of those to, and you need them all functioning in a healthy manner to have a healthy society. Right, and I think that by by doing this attack on marriage. It's beginning to undo almost at, as you were pointing out, it's undoing the atomic nature of what holds our culture together. If you don't have healthy families, you cannot have a healthy government. You also cannot have a healthy church. You essentially get three for one. Because yeah. out of all three like, of those what, happen, what happens when you split madam? Uh, you get a little bit of heat, a little bit of friction, <laughs> a little bit of a chain reaction, you know, a little bit, you know, I mean, it's not much. I think it's kind of like one of those little cherry popper firecrackers. It just goes. Poop. <laughs> it's not like there's a massive explosion that kills all life and radiates society for like decades. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Man, I wish there was a way that we could use this. Have you played Fallout or seen the little pit boy holding his thumb up? No, I've never played it. Okay, so Fallout is a game that's supposed to take place after a nuclear disaster. And for the longest time, everyone thought that the little character... <laughs> now it makes sense why they call it Fallout. Yeah. I never knew why it was but, called Fallout. Yeah, everyone hid in these little um, like canisters or whatever and then emerges after the, the nuclear war. But there's a, a little cartoon character called Pip-Boy, and it looks like he's giving you a thumbs up. Okay. And everyone thought that... You know, he's like, oh, yeah, thumbs up to the to the pit boy or whatever. But the creator, creators are like, no, actually, this is a standard of measurement. If you are in the midst of, like, nuclear war or you see a mushroom cloud, if you hold your thumb out, your thumb has to completely cover the mushroom cloud for you to be, for you to be safe distance away. Oh, heck no. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So just talking about the destructive force, if we are destroying marriage, if we're trying to normalize this, this agenda that's attacking it, tearing down government and marriage and church at once, how far away do we have to be that we can put our thumb up and see that we're a safe distance away? Yo, that's that's dope. Now that takes me back to the title of our episode and actually of this series. Okay. So we're calling the series Broken Arrow, but I don't uh -huh. know how many people are familiar with that term. Some people might remember the the late '90s movie Broken Arrow with Christian Slater and John Travolta. Okay, I'm guessing by the look on your face, you don't know that movie. <laughs> I don't. I was gonna be like, should I go home and watch it tonight? Uh, it's a B grade movie, so I wouldn't really recommend it. Okay, it's definitely '90s. But the 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 term Broken Arrow is a military term which has to do with a compromised nuclear warhead. When that's fallen into wrong into the wrong hands, you're said to have a broken arrow. Okay. I think it's so fascinating that when we're talking about something that has the 
kinetic energy that an atom does or that a nuclear weapon does and when split can cause the type of havoc that a, a, a nuclear bomb can 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 generate. When we're talking about something like the sexuality of a nation, I think that it's clear this is falling into wrong hands. For sure. Hence, we have a broken arrow. I like that. That's dope. Thank you. Thank you. I try. I try <laughs> to put this movie watching to good uses. <laughs> Parents thought it's I was purely wasting for, for all my time. Watching. Yeah, that's all it comes from. Like, what movies can I use as a title-based reference for our episode today? No, I like it. But the other part of the title is also the the LGBTQ train, right? Yeah. And I think it's interesting. We've talked about this a little bit before, but Vody Bauckham talks about how the the different when you're looking at a a train of thought, you have to take into consideration all the cars, right? Right. And they're supposed to, if if it's if it's logically consistent, all of the cars should complement one another, right? Yep. But that's not what we see for this LGBTQIA2 plus movement. There's so much contradiction. Because the, the L's and the G's have argued hardware for decades. Right. And the T's are now arguing software. And that's what's more important. All right, explain that little nuance for people who haven't okay. listened to, to Vody's piece. So lesbian, gays, and bisexuals are saying, this is just how I am, and I can't change. You can't expect me to change. There's been all types of movies and stuff associated to this, denigrating any Christian group that tries to help people not be gay anymore or whatever. This is just how you are, and you cannot change it. You cannot ask me to change. If you ask me to change, then you are violating me as a person. Okay, so basically, I was created this way. I'm I was created this way. And even if they don't say created, I was hardwired this way. And there's nothing you could do to change that aspect of me. It is an essential core of who I am. To change this would be to change who I am as a person. Right. Okay. And then you you add the the transgender piece onto it. And all of a the sudden, they're saying, well, it doesn't matter how I was born. I want to change it. I can change myself to whatever in the world I want to be. And if you don't affirm that and you don't let me change, then you're violating me as a person. It's in direct, it doesn't, it's not that it just doesn't agree. It's in direct contradiction to the first set of ideals in this movement. Which is interesting because I don't think people really conceptually visualize that. I don't think right. they get it. You know, the, the, there's always an initial stage of agreement when you're trying to move a, a culture. You got to find something for people to latch on to. Uh -huh. Right. So you make the first thing like sexual privacy. What I do in my bed, okay. bedroom shouldn't affect you. Right. If, if it's a uh -huh. if this is a consensual act between two adults, who are you to say? What's your hang up, man? What's your beef? Why are you trying to legislate my house? Right. So people can kind of get behind that. I mean, I don't really care what you do. I don't really care what's happening behind that. I ain't got enough action in my own bedroom. You trying to get extra action, go for it. <laughs> you know, all sorts of little twisted variations on that idea. But uh -huh. you, you begin to accept it. And then from that, it, there becomes the next argument. Listen, not only is what goes on in my bedroom between two consenting adults, 
none of your business, but hey, who are you to tell me that I should be any different when this is how I was created? Now, most of them start, they start staying away from that term created because that creates uh, an issue. Because if you're going to say you were created that way, then that implies you have a creator, which means we got to find out who created you and what did that creator say as far as you're supposed to be carrying yourself sexually. Right, right. Right. So and they'll sidestep that and I was made this way or I was born this way. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like something I don't really need to have much of an issue with. I mean, if you were born that way, you were born that way. Some people were born tall. Some people were born short. Some some people were, were born <laughs> with certain, you know, attributes and, and other people were born with less attributes. You happen to be born this way. Who am I to say that that was wrong? You are cracking up <laughs> over there. <laughs> you you gotta explain why you are cracking up. Like you're changing colors. Oh my gosh. It was was that a Freudian slip? What did I say? <laughs> so what I said you're born with attributes without attributes. What did I say? You said attributes. Oh Lord. Some people were born with less attributes. I was like, whoa. <laughs> just say just calling Freudian. them right out, aren't you? <laughs> I'm still tired, Christopher. I, I I haven't had a lot of sleep. Okay. Oh man, and and you're so smooth most of the time. Like I'm over here trying to figure out was that intentional? Did he just sneak it in there, or does does he not you, know what he just said? I told you, given the serious nature of the of the topic, I wasn't gonna try and cut any jokes. I okay, tried to be a hundred percent on board with it, and it's Ooh. been very difficult. Very okay. difficult. Sorry. No, you're you're cool. I just you know I know <laughs> people have different views and different people may struggle with it. They may have you know an audience the size that that we have and you know in our listening uh, our listening audience. It, it would be crazy for us to think that nobody has been affected by this or touched by it. This idea right. of and- homosexuality. So I figured it probably wouldn't be good for us to cut jokes. And that is very, very difficult for me because this particular topic gives me a lot of material. And it doesn't help that I've listened to a lot of Dave Chappelle over the years. <laughs> right? His, like, last four specials deal with nothing but this. Right. So I've got material. I am doing my best <laughs> to try. No, you're doing a great job. You're doing so a great job. So if you hear a slip, maybe it's just the comedic person in me trying to escape this prison I put them in. <laughs> I can see this person screaming and yelling behind. <laughs> he is, let me out. There's a joke there. I'm like, shut up. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be rude. We said this at the beginning. I got enough right. to offend people. I don't need you trying to slip through messages like, you know, some people were born with certain assets and others weren't. <laughs> but, all that being said, um, I almost lost my train of thought. Where were we? That um, the argument that I was born this way. Got you. Thanks. So it's fine. Yeah. Um, which is what you're talking about with the hardware piece. Right. And, and at this yeah. point, people are starting to buy into it because this type of argumentation happens over several years. Yes. It's not yes. like somebody just stands up, gives a speech. And then that's all America's on. This is happening sequentially and progressively and repetitively over several years to move America and to move the world, which is watching America, incrementally along a track. 
Yes. And because we have such reduced attention spans, we're not thinking about what happened six months ago. We're not thinking of what happened six years ago. Right. We're just on what's right in front of us. So if we've already gained some acceptance on the idea that what happens in the bedroom shouldn't be anybody else's business. And if we've gained a little further acceptance with the idea that two consenting adults can do whatever they want. And then if we go a little bit further and we accept the idea that people can be born a certain way and so they can be consenting adults doing certain things in their bedroom and you don't have no say, we're showing agreement by way of the fact that we don't raise any concern or objection to it. And our society continues to move forward and forward and forward. You then don't probably see the next thing coming, which are the people saying that this is not how I was born. This is how I feel. Right. That's so important because it's a switcheroo. Uh-huh. But you've already gotten acceptance going. You've built some momentum behind the movement because people are now going, okay, okay, just give them what they want so they'll stop. Okay. I got a bigger fish to fry, okay? We we're trying to get the economy and gas prices down, and we got wars going on. I don't really care about, you know, two chicks kissing at a barbecue. I don't think that's what happens at barbecues, but, you know, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> gotcha. You know, I, got, I got other stuff to worry about. And then moment by moment by moment, we keep moving forward. We keep moving further, not forward, but further down the line. And I, and I think what this exposes, it's not just that it exposes the illogical nature of the movement, right? Okay. I think it exposes the fact that it's not really about lesbians, gays, and bisexuals. It's not about transgender. Because you have to look at who organized this, who put them all together. Right. Because there's legitimate people arguing or, or having the, the LGB argument. They really think, look, this is this is how it is. You can't ask me to change. This is I was born this way. There's lots of people that are sold on that. And then you move over here to these other people, completely different argumentation, and somebody is pushing these these groups of ideas that that have no business being together because they don't agree into a movement. And I think that 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 third party hand that's organizing it proves it is not about these individual groups. They're using these individual groups to attain an end goal. I'd agree 100%. You know, while you were talking about how certain people on, on one half of this movement are concerned just with that, and then here comes another movement trying to attach to their momentum, it reminded me of Chappelle's a little bit, where he talked about <laughs> the LGBTs, and then here, here come them, them T's. And, and it was kind of funny in his bit, uh, you know, I've I have struggled over <laughs> over the months so many times when this has come up. I've wanted to play that that little clip. You will uh -huh. not allow me. <laughs> but <laughs> it was interesting where he talked about how the T's came up and there was there was some angst and animosity in this whole movement towards the T's from other people within the movement, which was which yeah. is a very uh, I think a very astute observation because it showed that not everyone's on board with everyone else's goals. But that these right. are being homogenized into an overall movement. Almost like this is a train. Yeah, exactly like it's a train. Matter of fact, when we were doing the title for this and the train metaphor came up, you know, all I could hear as we start talking about like the LGBTQ train, all I could hear was like this theme song, and I'm surprised like they haven't come up with and actually used it. 
not been in a national commercial campaign <laughs> oh that's funny yeah my mind dude no i like it it was great i'm gonna hear that that rhythm and that train all night are you probably <laughs> i don't want you going to bed dreaming about a train that's a problem <laughs> on a lot of different levels yes yes it is uh but no getting back to the subject at hand yeah um Turek actually goes into great detail articulating a six-point case against same-sex marriage. He does. And I think he does an absolutely phenomenal job, so much so that we won't go into much detail here. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it later on in the series. But just to wet people's palate, here are six quick points uh, dealing with the, the case against same-sex marriage. Number one, natural marriage is the foundation of a civilized society. Number two, homosexual behavior is inherently destructive. Number three, the law is a great teacher and it encourages or discourages behavior. Number four, government-backed same-sex marriage would encourage and normalize homosexual behavior and it would harm natural marriage. It would also harm children, adults, and homosexuals themselves. Number five, the law should promote behaviors that are beneficial and prohibit, or at least not endorse, those that are destructive. And finally, number six, therefore, the law should promote natural marriage and it should provide no option for government backed uh, marriages. Same sex marriage. Same sex marriages. Sorry. Um, I think that's great, great assessment and great articulation. And again, I know not everybody's going to agree with that, but I, I think these I think these are really um you know, I said not everybody's going to agree, but apparently Siri was trying to get on that conversation. <laughs> she had something to add to it, but it's not your oh, time. I bet. I bet. All right, we're not talking about AI right now. That's that's in a few months. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think there's a great art articulation, dude, of ideas that people really need to consider when they are thinking about this topic overall. Because, again, this is, you know, everybody's entitled to opinions, but they're not entitled to their own facts. We're not here trying to discuss people's opinions. We need to discuss the facts. And the fact is what we're being conditioned for goes well beyond sexual appetites. Like there is a legitimate move. What the heck was that? It was a dog. It came in right on. I said, move. It did. Scared the bejesus <laughs> out of me. Move. Right. I was like, who's talking? But no, there, there's a legitimate move to push us toward a predetermined aim. And I think we have to be as serious followers of Christ. And even people who don't follow Christ, they too need to be skeptical of what they are hearing. And they need to be considerate of the fact that they, too, are being moved. They're being positioned. You know, it's almost like this is a chessboard and these pieces are being moved around, which in turn restrict our options for movement based on where the pieces are. 
Uh-huh. Right? That's very important to understand. There's this thing, I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but something we were alluded to earlier in in, in the, the episode. You were asking me about if the if the the literature I was referring to, the document, was after the ball. Uh-huh. And I was telling you, no, it's not. It's actually called the Homosexual Manifesto. Okay, I've never heard of this before, so I'm really excited. Dude, you got to sit back and you got to buckle up. Okay. Because this right here is not for the faint of heart. Now, I get excited when I start reading these types of things, not because I agree, but it seems like every controversial idea has a manifesto behind it, which means somebody sat down. They wrote this out. Now, I don't know if they wrote it out by their own means. I don't know if it was by occult inspiration, if they were using automatic writing and being influenced by demonic powers, but I still get intrigued because now there's a document. Don't tell me this is about emotion. Don't tell me this is about you specifically. It's not. Well, yeah. And it reminds me, you know, when we came up with a pitch for the show, you know, what do we talk about? Well, it's a weekly show that me and my best friend run. And we, we take apart a couple of ideas, one of which is the things, the situation that we find ourselves in. Is it just the state of dealing with man as, as we are, fallen creatures, faults, what have you, or is there an actual agenda in place? Right. That section right there, when you're talking about that there is specific manifestos written for the agendas and the movements that we see in society, answers that question. Exactly. So yeah, I agree. I'm excited too. Exactly. And then we talk about, you know, the second half of that is if there is an agenda, then is there anything that scripture says that can be done about it? That's equally important because it helps right. to, again, re reclassify and reconstruct the argument and the perception of the argument beyond just what we're told and the boundaries that are, that are in place. You know, the boundaries that say you can't talk about anything beyond this point, and consequently, you should not be thinking about anything else beyond this point. The Bible is the um, the book of codes to use against the satanic control matrix. Yes. I love when you say that. Love it. So when there's a manifesto, now I'm like, ah, we got further ammunition at this point. Don't tell me this is accidental. Don't tell me this is just the way you feel. Somebody wrote a manifesto. There are goals that are being highlighted now. Now uh-huh. I got to read beyond what CNN, Fox, CB, CBS, you know, MSNBC, maybe what ABC, what Disney, what anybody else is telling me. I want to hear about that garbage. Tell me about this here manifesto. Because uh-huh. that's normally where I'm going to get solid intel on the mindset of the person. Now, this particular document, the Homosexual Manifesto, was written by Michael Swift and it was released uh, um, in GCN which is a a news company. I think it's called Gay Community News, done back in 1987, right? And I think the title was, uh, I think it was called Gay Revolutionary. Now, one of the arguments against this is that they say whenever people refer back or cite this document, they always leave off the first line, including when this is cited in, in Congress. And that's the fact that the very first line of this document apparently is, is that, this essay is an an outre madness, a tragic, cruel fantasy, an eruption of inner rage on how the oppressed deliberately dream of being the oppressor. Oh, 
Now, I'm guessing that by adding that one sentence, somehow it no longer qualifies as a manifesto articulating the goals of the parasitic elite who oftentimes are homosexuals themselves. Wow. But that notwithstanding, decide for yourself, based on what we're going to read here, what you think this is really about. What you think the homosexual movement, again, not homosexuals, but those who are in charge of the movement are really are, are really trying to do. And again, I'm going to warn people, uh, it's graphic. Uh, we're not going to pull any punches. I'm going to read this straight through. So if you got young ears or sensitive ears in the environment, now will be your time to go ahead and remove them from the room. Uh, I'm going to check Samuel out. Samuel Jackson says, <laughs> hold on to your butts. All right, that was it. Here we go. Let's do it. We shall sodomize your sons, emblems of your feeble masculinity, of your shallow dreams and vulgar lies. We shall seduce them in your schools, in your dormitories, in your gymnasiums, in your locker rooms, in your sports arenas, in your seminaries, in your youth groups, in your movie theater bathrooms, in your army bunkhouses, in your truck stops, in your all-male clubs, in your houses of Congress, wherever men are with men together, your sons shall become our minions and do our bidding. They will be recast in our image. They will come to crave and adore us. Women, you cry for freedom. You say you're no longer satisfied with men. They make you unhappy. We connoisseurs of the masculine face, the masculine physique, shall take your men from you then. We will amuse them. We will instruct them. We will embrace them when they weep. Women, you say you wish to live with each other instead of with men? Then go and be with each other. We shall give your men pleasures they have never known because we are foremost men too. And only one man knows how to truly please another man. Only one man can understand the depth and feeling, the mind and body of another man. All laws banning homosexual activity will be revoked. Instead, legislation shall be passed, which engenders love between men. All homosexuals must stand together as brothers. We must be united artistically, philosophically, socially, politically, financially. We will triumph only when we present a common face to the vicious heterosexual enemy. If you dare to cry faggot, fairy, queer at us, we will stab you in your cowardly hearts and defile your dead puny bodies. We shall write poems of the love between men. We shall stage plays in which men openly caress men. We shall make films about the love between heroic men, which will replace this cheap, superficial, sentimental, insipid, juvenile, heterosexual infatuations presently dominating your cinema screens. We shall sculpt statues of beautiful young men, of bold athletes, which will be placed in your parks, your squares, and your plazas. The museums of the world will be filled only with paintings of graceful naked lads. Our writers and artists will make love between men fashionable, and we will succeed because we are adept at setting styles. We will eliminate heterosexual liaisons through usage of the devices of wit and ridicule, devices which we are skilled in employing. We will unmask the powerful homosexuals who masquerade as heterosexuals. 
You will be shocked and frightened when you find that your presidents and their sons, your industrialists, your senators, your mayors, your generals, your athletes, your film stars, your television personalities, your civic leaders, your priests are not the safe, familiar, bourgeoisie, heterosexual figures you assume them to be. We are everywhere. We have infiltrated your ranks. Be careful when you speak of homosexuals because we are always among you. We may be sitting across the desk from you. We may be sleeping in the same bed with you. There will be no compromise. We are not middle-class weaklings. Highly intelligent, we are the natural aristocrats of the human race. And steely-minded aristocrats never settle for less. Those who oppose us will be exiled. We shall raise vast private armies, a Mishmia as Mishmia did, to defeat you. We shall conquer the world because warriors inspired by and banded together by homosexual love and honor are invincible, as were the ancient Greek soldiers. The family unit sprawling ground of lies, betrayals, mediocrity, hypocrisy, and violence will be abolished. The family unit, which only dampens imagination and curbs free will, must be eliminated. Perfect boys will be conceived and grown in the genetic laboratory. They will be bonded together in communal settings under the control and instruction of homosexual savants. All churches who condemn us will be closed. Our only gods are handsome young men. We adhere to a cult of beauty, moral and aesthetically. All that is ugly and vulgar and banal will be annihilated. Since we are alienated from middle-class heterosexual conventions, we are free to live our lives according to the dictates of the pure imagination. For us, too much is not enough. The exquisite society to emerge will be governed by the elite compromised of gay poets. One of the major requirements of a position of power in the new society of homoeroticism will be indulgence in the Greek passion. Any man contaminated with heterosexual lust will be automatically barred from a position of influence. All males who insist on remaining stupidly heterosexual will be tried in homosexual courts of justice and will become invisible men. We shall rewrite history, history filled and debased with your heterosexual lies and distortions. We, sh we shall portray the homosexuality of the great leaders and thinkers who have shaped the world. We will demonstrate that homosexuality and intelligence and imagination are inextricably linked and that homosexuality is a requirement for true nobility, for true beauty in a man. We shall be victorious because we are fueled with the ferocious bitterness of the oppressed who have been forced to play seemingly bit parts in your dumb heterosexual shows throughout the ages. We too are capable of firing guns and manning the barricades of the ultimate revolution. Tremble, heteroswine, when we appear before you without our mask. Wow. That's a lot to take in. That is a lot to take in. I don't know. I'm not even sure how to follow that. <laughs> I don't know how a person could hear this and not understand that this is the heart and the spirit behind the movement. It's in their words. Right. Even if this was satirical, this is still what we see happening. So somebody's taking thinking. it seriously. Right. Right. This is not something that we can ignore. 
I mean, so much was said within this. Yeah, I was thinking about those new high-ranking political officers, like the, what is it, the new COVID czar and the um, uh, Klaus Schwab's right-hand man. Yeah, I know, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his name. Right, I can't think of the names right. I'm I'm still just taken back by this this whole manifesto. But like I've seen flashes of politicians and the things that they're about and all of that. It is it's alarming how how accurate it represents what's happening to world culture, not even just America at this point. Yeah, because you, we have to remember what America represents on the world stage. I mean, with it being the last remaining superpower. Uh, and, and with it even being founded as the idea of the new Atlantis, there's definitely a, a sociopolitical and even a spiritual push to use America within this current order of world order of things as a, a beacon and a model to emulate. Right. And I'm sure that will be replaced when the new world order is fully instituted. But for now, as America goes, because of her influence, so goes the world. Yeah. It's crazy. Take, for instance, you know, we shall sodomize your sons and that that whole section. You know, notice the awareness of the power of seduction. You know, gay knowledge and how it how it works is evident in, in the often employed slogan of, you know, chicken hawks or men who major in boys. Okay. You know, this power is uh, exercised and it was revealed in a, in a uh, study, I think it was done by uh, Cameron and Cameron in 1996. This data set that they revealed, they asked how many, they asked uh, homosexual men, how many virgins had they introduced to homosexuality? And oh. 128 gay men reported an average or a mean of, of five. An average of five homosexual virgins who weren't gay which is uh, at least a quarter adopt homosexuality. Huh. Sufficient to say that's enough to maintain or expand a gay subculture. Right, right. It's It definitely seems predatory. Right, because there was another study not done. How it's, oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say that's not how it's uh, portrayed in the media. No, it's not. There was another study done by uh, Van Werk and Geist in 1984, which noted that boys who first have their sexual, whose first sexual experience was homosexual in nature, were apt to adopt homosexual taste. In fact, according to the Cameron and Cameron study in 1996, about 60% of males whose first sexual experience was homosexual continued in homosexuality into adulthood, whether that experience was consensual you know, like peer-to-peer, or if it was raped by a grown man. Interesting. Like, that's wild. You know, the part where they talk about all laws banning homosexual uh, homosexual activity will be revoked, and instead legislation shall be passed which engenders love between men. Um, I got a document here that kind of cites, I don't know who wrote this, but it does cite some of these statistics that I'm reading. Okay. I, I try to give credit to the author, but I, I don't know who wrote it. But one of the things they pointed out was that as of December 6, uh, 2011, the U.S. government called for eliminating laws against gay sex. While legislation has been passed to make boys in classroom aware of their opportunities 
And it is, quote unquote, politically correct in the media and on campus to smile at gay love. You know, think about Penn State Sandusky, uh, the, the Sandusky professor. While the media is trying hard to promote gay love, the educational industry uh, is doing what it can to lay the groundwork for such laws. In California, for instance, a new classroom celebration is in place. Um, I think it's called Harvey Milk Day. And Milk was a pederast uh, through which engaged in so much debauchery that it, it was probably not his uh, not his major. So I'm I'm thinking, man, that you remember that Sean Penn movie, Milk? Yeah, yeah. I think it's based off of this guy. Okay. Interesting. You know, you were saying a moment ago about how hate speech is coming about when talking about these things. Uh huh. This is in line with the statement that if you know, if you dare to cry faggot, fairy, queer at us. We will stab you in your cowardly hearts and defile your dead puny bodies. One, that does not sound very tolerant. Right? right. We that, went from oh, name calling to killing and mutilation of a dead body. Right. Did you see that um, Ben Shapiro interview? The one where he's next to a transgender and he's and he's he just asked a question yeah. or whatever, and she reached over and grabbed him, or he reached over and grabbed him. I don't I don't know what it was, and then threatened him. Yeah, said you you keep that up, you're going out in a body bag. Yeah, it's interesting how quickly threats of violence follow in these type of conversations where a person takes a, a antithetical position to the often accepted normalized position. Yeah, but but I think what what it helps do is it helps because of the things that we see in the media, the, those hidden little things, you know, if you look for it, they validate this manifesto. You know what I mean? They do. It's not like a one-off and we have never seen anything like that from this group or, or anything before. Exactly. No, they say it. And when you look, you peel back the, the, to see the man behind the curtain. And this is exactly what's going on. That's such a great point to bring up, man, because as you do the research, and I, I think, look, people, you you heard this. Don't take our word for it. Go do your own research. You can go online right now and Google the Homosexual Manifesto, and you can read what, what we just uh, went over. And I think people should. But here's the thing. When you start doing that, you're often going to see rhetoric in front of the actual manifesto that you want to read something that's designed to begin to steer your mind away from the seriousness of what you're reading. Oh, something like here goes the, the extreme right or the alt right or the religious right trying to cite this document without realizing that, you know, this was just written this one guy's view written maybe as a satire, you know, it's just him right. trying to express his frustration. No, this is not, evidence of an organized plan uh you know they say go ahead did, did you know that i saw that uh for after the ball no yeah i was looking it up and there were several places that were like oh well the extremists have oftentimes looked at this book as evidence of a plan it's literally a plan and it happened exactly the way that they explained it are you part and of the extreme called, religious right though uh i mean apparently well, then they're right. Here go the extreme religious right trying to call <laughs> this a plan. I'm like, I no, mean, your own authors called it a plan. Yeah, exactly. I'm just repeating what y'all said. 
Yeah, it, it's it's crazy how they they're just constantly spinning it. Right, right. It's a propaganda move. It's a a propagandist tactic to counter the narrative. If you can't discredit the actual narrative, then you discredit the person bringing it. Right? So you can't say uh-huh. that this guy didn't write this. We've got it right. documented. It's even documented in Congress. So the only thing you can do next is to attack the character of the person who's pointing back to it. Oh, here they go. They want to cite this document, but they don't want to include the very first line. There is nothing that I read in that first line that they say is often omitted Uh that in any way overturns the seriousness of this document. No. I don't care. What was that word in outre? In outre? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, that doesn't in any way make this any less serious. No, not at all. At all. But you were like you were saying, dude, yeah, you can see this being implemented as a stratagem for people who advocate for this position and this lifestyle. We shall write poems of the love between men. We shall stage plays in which men openly caress men. We shall make films about the love between heroic men, which will replace the cheap, superficial, sentimental, insipid, juvenile. That's a lot of adjectives. Uh huh. Heterosexual infatuation presently dominating your cinema screens. It's not to say that they're wrong. I think some of the heterosexual infatuation is cheap, superficial, sentimental, insipid, and juvenile. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean that replacing what they want to replace it with is any better. And see, this Correct. is why you see shows that continue to push the the homosexual narrative. This is why you start seeing shows like Empire. You almost can't even turn on the TV without seeing open embrace of homosexual characters embedded in the narrative. Right. Even when it doesn't fit the storyline. You know, I was watching Lightyear not too long ago. Okay, you watched it? I did. And right there in this sequence, I think we talked about this on, on one of our prior episodes, right there in the sequence. Possibly, yeah. It's embedded um, same-sex relationship between two women. Okay. And I'm like, absolutely no reason for that. None at all. But it, again, it starts to normalize it. At this point, you don't really see any consequence with it. You just happen to see it within a a, a quick montage that's happening. Okay. Two women answer the door, and a and a uh, child. I think it's a a daughter, young girl walks in. So she's got two moms. Oh, that's it. Okay, and we're on to the next thing. Yeah, well, nothing nothing to see here. That that wasn't wrong. But you do see a a more avid and focused push. Like I remember when I got done watching The Big Bang, and one of my favorite characters on there was Sheldon Cooper. Okay. He did a movie. I cannot think of the name of this movie. Um, where the entire cast were prominent gay Hollywood actors. Okay. Many of which I think would come out. And the whole movie was about gay men and gay love. At least the way the trailer was cut. And I mean like okay. unapologetic. Unapologetically gay. Interesting. Flat out pushing it. We can't get away from this, this, um, 
this pollution of entertainment. We can't. It's everywhere. And it's in, it's intentionally everywhere. Yes. Like, not only is this being picked up, but now companies are forcing it. I remember I walked into a... Um, I walked into a, a cell phone company here, uh, one of the big three, and right there on their advertisement were a same-sex couple. Okay. And they happened to be African-American same-sex, and I was like, yeah, that's not accidental. Does it irritate you at all as a, a minority that has consistently been underrepresented in the media to have an even smaller minority now overrepresented in the media? It, yes, it irritates me, but not necessarily from I'm a minority perspective. Okay. It, it irritates me probably on a, on a deeper level from a spiritual perspective. All right. Like if this was one minority, let's say it was like, um, <laughs> I was going to say six finger, but that would bother me for a totally different reason. <laughs> you know, let's say it was people who were born with uh, a, a, a a blue nail, right? They had some genetic deformity, and, and it was a blue nail that showed up. And maybe okay. it affected 0.5% of the population. But everywhere we look, blue nails was being held up. I, too, uh-huh. stand for and stand with my blue nail oppressed people. Because nobody wants you around if you got blue nails. Okay. All right. You know, the fact that maybe some of the people who suffer with this blue nail thing are being oppressed or, or being denied opportunities or being discriminated against, you know, the, w- would that bother me? Um, and You know, that they were getting so much airtime. Uh, yeah, that, that would bother me. But there are deeper things that bother me with this. And that would be the idea that if we're talking about the blue nail deformity, Okay, uh-huh. so that's an issue where maybe it's a disability or deformity or something like that. Homosexuals are not claiming that. They're not claiming this is a, a disability or deformity. They're not okay. They're claiming that. They're claiming that this is an acceptable lifestyle that we are being told we cannot have by those who disagree with us, and we are fighting back. And we're not only fighting back for acceptance, we're fighting back for complete dominance of the landscape. To the point that we want to convert heterosexuals into homosexual. Okay. That I have a problem with. That's a good answer. Thanks, man. That's really what what bothers me. You know, look, let's take a couple of these these other points. Um, We will unmask the powerful homosexual who masquerades as heterosexual. That's huge because I think most people don't have a true appreciation for that. How do you mean? Because look, we're we're seeing more and more the sexual proclivities of a corrupt and debased hierarchy or, or an upper level culture become more revealed in the media. All right. We're seeing we're we're seeing reports of the parasitic elite having to come to terms with their secret um, their secret ongoings becoming public knowledge. Like, what am I talking about? All right, you got your Epsteins, you got your Clintons, you got your um, Prince Andrews. But those are like just the tip of the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Uh-huh. 
there are there are rings of politicians that we're told about who engage in sexual perversities. You know, child yeah. sex rings that are going on through upper level politicians. You're like, what? The who? What, what are you talking about? Like, we haven't forgot about Pizzagate. Right. We haven't forgot about a lot of those things that happen. But we're seeing, okay, maybe this is a real thing that really is a problem. And you've got to ask why. Why is it that sexual debasement, especially amongst those in power, is such a prominent thing? Are you going to tell me or do you want me to answer? <laughs> oh, we'll do both. Let's have a dialogue. Okay. Well, I get I get nervous sometimes when you ask questions and I'm like, I need to have a really good answer for this. Always, bro. Always. Because <laughs> you like to ask me questions, you expect a really good answer in return. That's true. Yeah. You're not allowed to ask or answer anything but a really good answer. Um, <laughs> no, I, I would say the reason that we do it, if you, if you pull back and look at the bigger picture, we look at all of these agendas outside of the the LGBTQIA2+. And they're clearly satanic, right? They're about control. They're about manipulation. And I mean, so much so that it's actually brought people into Christianity because there's like, there's so much satanic behavior out here. Agendas getting pushed by the elites. There's got to be another team, right? Right. It makes perfect sense to me that then they're behaving in ways that align with satanic doctrine. And it makes sense to me that they're aligning in ways that that degrade or spit in the face of God's specified design. Right. I think you're absolutely correct. I think the Thanks. I, I think as a, as an uh, an extension to that, one of the reasons we are seeing what we are seeing, one of the reasons we're seeing the the prolific expression of sexual perversity is not just because, as we mentioned earlier, the the Frankfurt School and the polymorphic sexual perversity they wanted to instill in culture. But as you said a moment ago, we got to take a step back. We're dealing, particularly in the United States, we're dealing with a country dedicated to all pagan gods whose cultural makeup has four significant influences. The Greeks, the Romans, the Jews. When I say four, what, where's the other one? It has at least three significant cultural <laughs> influences. Um, and we've built a lot of our structure based upon the appetites that have come from those places, particularly Rome and Greece. And it can be argued that the United States is really Rome part two. Okay. Well, then we have to yeah. look at what were they doing there and why the Romans had pagan gods. You don't get into positions of power unless you invoke the help of those gods. And those gods oftentimes require acts of worship. What are the, one of the most powerful acts of worship a human being can do is a sexual act. You see this in sex magic rituals because the energy that human beings release upon orgasm is highly sought after by spiritual entities. Now, I don't know the full mechanics of how this works, but from what I'm told, that is very powerful go-go juice, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Right? And you add to that not just the feeding of those entities in order to get power, influence, knowledge from them, but you take it a step further. 
there is a larger agenda at play, which the Bible talks about. You go back to Genesis three and you read about the fact that the first mention of war based upon the law of first mention, it's important to recognize where this shows up. The first time we read about war, it is God declaring war on Satan. And he flat out tells the serpent, there will be enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. Now we hold in Christianity, that's the, what they call the proto evangelum, the, the, the first gospel, proto gospel, but it's a first reference uh-huh. to Jesus Christ, obviously. But it says that there will be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. If Satan isn't fully convinced that Jesus showed up and was who he was, he still has to be at war against a woman by preventing the birth of the Messiah. Okay. Which means you still need to destroy males. Someone once said that almost every agenda and problem we see it's in society is actually aimed at the male. Interesting. I think this is Miles Monroe who said this. It's about getting males. Now that's not because females are not important. I'm here to say females are very, very important. <laughs> I would not be here if it wasn't for a female. And Same. I, I would not be here. I'm glad <laughs> you said that. And uh, I would not be able to go where I'm trying to get to if it was not for a female. Right, right. Do you want to say same? No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't even know how to take that. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, um, but but because of the way God set up His created order. He created two genders and he gave each gender specific responsibilities and specific privileges. One of the responsibilities of the male is to lead, lead, protect, and carry the mantle of authority that God has has placed inside of the male as headship. So if Uh you are trying to break apart society and if you are trying on a larger scale to fracture the created order and above that if you are trying to take control of this created order you have to attack the male because that's the position that god has given as the place of authority huh it's an orchestrated attack so if we want to reduce the woman being able to produce the messiah you try to corrupt the bloodline through transhumanism and other occult technologies. You try to limit the amount of births that a woman can produce by, by uh, um, not epigenetics. What's the, the eugenics? Right. You, you try to sterilize uh-huh. people, but then you also try to stop births through homosexual encounters. Yeah. You have you heard go ahead. Real, real quick just because you brought it up have you heard that uh that homosexuality is nature's way of dealing with overpopulation <laughs> I have not and I'm only laughing because it's fascinating to me how often an inanimate unintelligent thing like nature is given personhood like they are fixing all of the world's problems. It's like you right. can't have it, both. It, it, right. But it's it's so easy because you don't have to talk about God. You just say nature. 
Right. And nature can do all the things that God can do, but we don't, it's not but a we God, don't have so God. it's okay. Right. We have nature. Right. <laughs> that, that's, that's what we've got. And nature understands that there's an overpopulation problem. Right. No, I haven't heard that argument though. Something you said just triggered that in me. So for, for, for whatever that's worth, I just thrown it out there. No, I, I think that's really ironic though, that, that there's an appeal to that. And it's understandable because there's also an appeal that's often made a quote unquote common sense appeal of, Hey, do you see homosexuality in nature? The wild thing is that, yeah, in some cases you do. Uh-huh. But as a whole, nature would not be able to to procreate and to exist through homosexual behavior. It would have to be the exception and not the norm. And if right. it was carried out to its its end, it would bring about the extinction of everything you we hold natural. Right, for sure. And if we're looking at nature to be the teacher and, and not intelligence and law, there's also rape, murder, infanticide, all of this stuff cannibalism. you can find easily. Yeah, cannibalism. All of that stuff is, you, you could even say, it, it's, it's clearly the exception, but it's it's normal. It, it's not uncommon to, to see that type of behavior. So let's just start doing all that. Right, where do you draw the line? If you start looking yeah. for nature to be your guidepost, which is a, a, a huge indicator of the degree to which we've fallen away from having intelligent conversation about our reality when human beings have to look to animals to guide their moral behavior and become their moral compass we have fallen a far way away oh for sure right like god i listen i'm not only am i not listening to you you don't exist i'm not listening to you i can't see you but I am going to look at these things that you supposedly created and they will guide me. <laughs> like, do you understand yeah. how debased that is? And it's so weird, even from just a normal perspective, because they they would be technically lower down on, on the evolutionary pole, right? Right. Or train, whatever you want to call it. So we really go, like it, it's it's really a debased way of thinking. So we go from looking at God to looking at nothing, to looking at ourselves, to then looking down by every metric that we have, looking down and go, well, they're doing it. It's got to be okay for me. Like, it is a it is a sad day when, when that is the the philosophy that, that people in society are actually adhering to. Right. And this is a philosophy, bro. This, this whole movement is based on a philosophy and it's based on a lifestyle. You know, have you back in, you know, we we're talking a moment ago before I make the point about this being a philosophy. Don't let me forget that. Uh, we okay. were talking a moment ago about the United States being like the not the brainchild, but the carryover from Rome. Right. Uh-huh. The Romans and the Greeks had this thing where there was all sorts of gay love going on in their culture. Like they had huge forms of sexual immorality, but like anything goes However, the the male-female interaction was less about pleasure, more about just procreation. Interesting. Men seem to reach their, their, their zenith, their sexual zenith, uh, within that culture by engaging in male-boy sexual intercourse. Well, that's not and good. No, but do you know what they called that? What? Mentoring. 
Really? It's where we get the term mentoring. Now, what would happen is you would have a, a prominent older man, older male, who would provide some sort of, of tutelage to a younger lad. And the payment would be the younger lad would have to provide sexual favors to the older male. And he would be known as his mentor, which I think really is an extension of where we get tour mentor from. Wow. I mean, think really, think about that. What things had to happen. Like even when we use these terms, you know, you, you were hitting me <laughs> earlier in one of our prior episodes with this idea of, uh, I was, I was going to say like, you know, they were, they were having child sex and you were like, no, it's child rape. Uh-huh. Like you got to just use the term. And I was like, I think that's too much for people to take right out the box. <laughs> Right, right, right. Luckily, we're about two hours in, so I, I think maybe they, they've been geared up enough. Yeah, I think after sodomizing your children, I think you're pretty good, Jason. Right. You see what I'm saying? I didn't even come up with that, dude. That's what they wrote. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I but get you'd it. have to really think about that. Think about what's going on in those courses. Like we say male boy sex, that doesn't really display the possible trauma that could be happening to that boy. And when even when I say trauma, most people are going to, they, they kind of shut back, like, I don't want to hear this. You're just probably thinking about physical trauma to his body. Right. And that would be devastating enough. What about the psychological trauma to his, his psyche and his personhood? What about the fracturing of his soul? Let's put this on a larger platform now. We keep talking about why does this happen? When you fracture the human soul, multiple things occur. One of the things that happens is that you create opportunities for spirit beings to be able to inhabit those who are fractured because the defense mechanism is compromised. Right? That's that's one thing. But if yeah. you fracture severely enough, people people can lose parts of their souls. Uh-huh. And I think Dan Duvall was one who talked about the fact that human souls or fragments of human souls are often trafficked on the angelic black market. Yes. It yeah, becomes that's crazy. part. It, it, it is. According to, to him, it becomes part of the, the um, wardrobe and armoring that these celestial beings will wear, these fallen beings. Like, essentially, their armor plating is comprised of soul fractures of human beings so that when they take an assault, when they suffer a blow, it is not them who take the hit, but the soul fragments that absorb it. That'd be like um, like terrorists wearing babies and stuff, right? To protect them in gunfights, in, right. in, in some sense. In some sense, right, because if you were to shoot try to shoot the terrorists, you'd have to shoot the baby. And right. the baby would take the brunt of the hit of, of, of the round. Uh-huh. Precisely the same concept. Right? It's wicked. It, it is extremely wicked. And we were asking again, why all of this push for this type of stuff? This is what goes on in the unseen realm that we don't want to talk about or consider. Again, it's not about your feelings and it's not about what happens in your bedroom. It's about this is part of a larger play to destroy not just this country, but humanity as a whole. 
When cultures begin to celebrate and embrace homosexuality, they are very close to the fall, their own fall and demise. Yeah. This is where God doesn't play because it destroys creation. Because of that, I think that we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the fact that this tends to be behavior that is reflective of the desire and appetites of the fallen angels. The, the desire to engage sexually outside the boundary lines and limitations that the Most High has set up. That is a good point. So Thanks, bro. Someone once said that the, who was this? I think it was Steve Quayle who said he asked Jesus Christ, hey, what is a good definition for lust? And he said that Jesus told him lust is the expression of desires of demons through human beings. That's crazy. It took me a moment to really <laughs> conceptualize that. Yeah. Now run that backwards. Where did demons come from? Well, we hold to the view, you and I, that demons came from the disembodied. Uh, they are the disembodied spirits of the, the Nephilim, those who were giants, as well as those who were the not just illegitimate life forms, but the the result of combining and transgressing God's limitations on kinds to create chimeras. Yeah. Right. So it's not just giants is the point I'm trying to make. These okay. are, are more than just tall, big beans. That's just one type of Nephilim. The book of Enoch actually records that the fallen angels taught the mixture of all species. It wasn't just angel with man. Okay. Right. Man with yeah, goat, yeah. possibly angel with goat, you know, mixing, exactly, mixing other life forms together that were not supposed to be interbred. Yep. That's really where this comes from. So if the fallen angels taught this type of occult behavior to produce these type of technologies and products such as chimera and other hybrid beings, and then God sends a flood because it was it was so wicked, so evil that even the planet itself was beginning to consume itself to try to support these monstrous life forms. And when they die as a result of the flood, because they're an illicit life form, there is no place for them in heaven nor hell. So they are bound to the earth in a disembodied state as what we would call a shade or a demon or an evil spirit or a wicked spirit. Right. And they uh-huh. look for, as the Bible says, a place of rest. What that means is they look for a body to re- to inhabit because they are dispossessed of their own bodies, which were destroyed in the flood and in other subsequent judgments. Well, if that is the case, then they are still sentient beings that have desire and emotion. And they are trying to express that emotion in this plane of existence of which they are both imprisoned to and n- not allowed to express themselves in unless they have the body of someone that was legitimately supposed to be here, i.e. a human being. Well, then we could quite possibly be getting influenced by their desires through their control and manipulation of not only the official narrative, but by their control of entertainment, of media, of what we we watch in movies, of what we listen to in music, of what we play in our video games, of what we see in our athletes and sports heroes. It is quite 
plausible and almost undeniable that the lust that is that is being stirred up within us is actually the direct expression of demonic entities that control the people we look up to, which influences our society. That's nuts. That's a lot, bro, to take in. It is a lot. But we have to understand that. All of this, as we constantly talk about with the satanic control matrix, all of this is being utilized to steer us towards a very specific end goal, right? Uh-huh. This 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 whole thing um, is so important for us to get our mind wrapped around. You know, this agenda is systemic. It's pervasive. Uh, it must be understood that it's equally well-tuned to run like a military machine. Like we keep using military terms in reference to it. We keep saying the fact that, yo, this is um, this is a campaign, right? There are things being enacted against us. We're under fire. We use this type of military rhetoric to help get the idea buried into the person's mind that this is an agenda. This is a war. But if we can't actually articulate how this stuff works, if we can't demonstrate what things do we do to counter it, if we can't really explain it, then when people come up to us and they're like, and this is going to happen because this happens to you and me all the time, people Uh at the most inconvenient time will somehow (laughs) find a way to ask you like this fully loaded question. You know, you'll be, you'll be at work and that's probably one of the worst places to have a controversial topic like this. Oh yeah. Right. But you'll be at work and somebody will be like, Hey bro, what's, what's your take on like gay marriage? (laughs) And you're like, what are you? First off, are you proposing? No, no, I was just curious. <laughs> right. And you've got to have an answer. And if, if you can't articulate these things, which require a more robust understanding of what is going on, which is part of what we've tried to help articulate today, um, then really you start fumbling over yourself. And what people end up hearing is this. That's not helpful. Not at all. Right? You're not supposed to sound like that. You (laughs) have to be able to articulate why this matters. You know, this issue that we're dealing with, it's bigger than just the the question of, does loving someone mean that you got to tolerate and affirm their feelings? Which obviously you don't. You know, any true form of love requires boundary lines. It requires any healthy relationship in which love is a a measurable component of it requires do's and don'ts. Certain things we can do, certain things we can't do, certain things we even shouldn't do. Affirming Uh a person's feelings or tolerating that is not the end goal of a loving relationship. Sometimes you have to go beyond a person's feelings. Now, again, we're not talking about being rude. We're not talking about just saying whatever you want to say to a person and not caring about how that impacts them, right? That's not love. But tolerating a person's position or affirming their feelings, when you use the term tolerate, it's coded language. It doesn't mean dealing with someone patiently and working through something, even though you disagree. Tolerate means accept it and do not resist it. Do not offer an alternative to what's being put put forth. So, obviously, loving someone doesn't mean that you got to tolerate and affirm their feelings. Right. Right. You can be considerate of it, but you need to do things that are within their best nature so that they remain healthy. You know, yes. Does lo- does love dictate that that we got to resist activities and attractions that harm individuals and society at large? Absolutely. 
We see yes. that in Scripture. You're called to be both uh-huh. salt and light. What are, what is the things that salt and light does? I mean, it's kind of a peculiar thing for Christ to pick out out of all the stuff you could compare us to. I mean, it's much better than comparing us to sheep, which tends to be the default. You know, I'm well, glad that yeah. it wasn't. I'm glad he wasn't <laughs> like you're a sheep, so you're supposed to get your head stuck in a fence. I'm like that's not a very flattering comparison. God, please find something else. And he's like, yep, got you. You're salt and light. I'm not liking this one either. But <laughs> salt and light have some very peculiar qualities to them. Particularly salt. Let's let's take light for a second. Light is designed to overpower darkness. But it has to be shown. It cannot be covered up. It can't be obfuscated. Can't be hidden. Okay. All right. So your part of your makeup is to shine. Now, are we shining from our own resource, or are we like like the sun, or are we shining the way the moon does? I'd argue it's probably shining the way the moon does, which the moon acts as a reflective surface of the sun's light. Okay. So, in turn, we should be reflecting the light of Christ. However, our nature is built, we are designed to reflect light. That's why Satan tries to come down as a light bearer, hence the Latin name Lucifer, and he bears a false light to Christ. That's why in scripture you see Christ is referred to as the morning star, and so is Lucifer. Lucifer tries to steal that light. So if he's a light bearer coming in with a false light of his own, not reflecting the light of Christ, and you get too close to him, you will reflect Luciferian light. That is what the Illuminati want people to do, those who are initiated. They are to illuminate the world. That sounds mildly okay until you realize that it is not with the light of, of Jesus Christ of the Bible. It is with the light of the false Christ or Lucifer's Christ. That right. now is quite problematic. Right? Huge we have problem. to be able to go into these matters and talk about why it's important. Why is our society being turned towards accepting homosexuality? In a nutshell, it is being done in order to promote the acceptance of of the Antichrist and the way that he behaves. You excuse me, you see this even in the symbols that represent Satanism. You see it in the Baphomet, the blending of genders. The fact that the Baphomet represents a what's that what's that term? Um, hermaphroditic expression. Yeah. Right? It lacks distinction of two genders. This is a hallmark of Satanism. Satan is not the not the lack of distinction of two genders per se, but rather the fact that you blend distinctions so that things are non-distinct. Okay. Where God has set boundaries, you transgress those so that things become all the same. Gotcha. That's why there's even a push for blending humanity with other things, where there's no longer distinction in your humanity. You're part this and part that. It's all about bringing about the old Nephilim order, which supports Satan and his Christ. That's what all this is about. Yeah, at its core, it is. It is. It's the reason that you you do what we were talking about a moment ago. I told you, don't let me forget the philosophy, right? Right. You'd already forgotten, hadn't you? No, I was waiting for it. You was waiting? I like that, man. You stay sharp like that. I I like that. I'm working on it. I, I like it. You're doing good. 
Um, but it's the reason, here's the reason we see this, this push for homosexuality, homosexual acceptance. Not only are we being engendered to accept the, the Antichrist when he shows up, but in the meantime, our decisions are being used to fuel the spiritual realm. Right. One of the things that we see in sex magic rituals, I think Aleister Crowley talked about this, one of the most potent ways to engender sexual energy is through the violation of an innocent. Right. Yeah. You find uh-huh. an innocent and there's nothing more innocent than a child. And you violate the child. It produces energy that spiritual beings feed off of. Which in turn they allow then their their capabilities their I don't want to say magic, but the things that they're able to do in the in the spiritual realm their spiritual power to be utilized to affect the natural realm it's a bargain or a trade. Well, okay. Alistair Crowley goes on to say out of those out of the innocence that you can choose the most preferred is a boy. Again, That's it's crazy. the attack on males going back to Genesis three. Yeah. So. Why turn all these boys out? Because you're violating their innocence. And in violating that innocence, you're getting to feed on the the energy that comes from that violation. But you're also going to, for a certain number of them, turn them into homosexuals that will likely do the same thing because of the nature of trauma. Oftentimes, those who are traumatized recommit. I don't want to say recommit but they commit the trauma that they suffered. Right. Those who were molested tend to molest. Those who were raped tend to rape. Right. Uh huh. It's a thing that happens. Well, that ensures that you can create kind of like you see in the matrix, that battery field, right? You can ensure that human beings will now start self defiling and self traumatizing other human beings, which will again produce more of this energy that they can feed on. Because we got to understand the spiritual beings that are feeding on this are locked out of the third heaven where God resides. They're currently in a second tier heaven, meaning that they cannot get the life giving source that God provides. Now, it seems to be in some of the records in scripture, sometimes they're able to to go before God to accuse, but not to enjoy his life sustaining properties. So you have to you have to scavenge it from other places and we hold that we're able to replicate we're able to reproduce there's something in us i don't want to call it the spark of divinity because that has other connotations uh-huh. but there's something in us that as we engage in sexual activities we release a very potent energy that they're able to feed on yeah that's massive bro it's nuts no pun intended <laughs> Right. So all of this, man, our, our, our music, our movies, our sports stars, you know, it's a reason why if you if you come out as gay in sports, somehow you find yourself at the White House being promoted. Yeah. Right. There, there's a reason that all of this is happening. And it's not about dealing with the oppressed part of culture. It's not about even like like you listed before all of those things that the the this argument is actually not over. It's really not about equality. It's not about the fact that I was made this way. It's not about the rhetoric that we're told. It's about what we're not being told, which is that this is about creating an environment 
by which the the appetites of those who worship Satan can be expressed fully. And anybody right. who takes an 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 ant what is it? Anybody who takes an opposite stance and is against this will be jailed, will be silenced, because they want to be able to express this freely without anyone saying no. Yep, because they're terraforming the morality of the world. In order to bring about their God. Yep. We have to understand this. This is the game. This is what yeah. we're being conditioned for. Look, you don't think someone listening to me right now is going, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. You say that this is an attack on males. Okay. Holy Spirit pointed this out earlier. This month is what? This is Pride Month, right? The sixth month? Sixth month. It's Pride Month. Uh-huh. Do you think it's accidental that Pride Month coincides with the same day or the same month, not the same day, but the same month that we also honor fathers? Oh, I never even caught that before. Me neither. That's crazy. You got 11 other months that you could have made this on. Yeah. Why the sixth one? Huh. It's an attack. And if it's an attack on fathers, not just males, but particularly on on fathers, Uh on fatherhood, by extension, it's an attack on the most high, the father. This changes how you see him. Right. I'm surprised they haven't come out talking about the Trinity is just a bunch of, you know, three gods, three male gods involved in their own little cosmic relationship that I'm sure has a sexual component to it. I'm waiting for that argument. I'm sure it's going to come out at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll hammer that when it does. Yeah. I've, I've been anticipating some argumentation like that. Have so you? it'll be interesting when we come up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure when when that shows up, we'll we'll, we'll blast that one. Uh-huh. But yeah, people have got to realize, though, it's not about your neighbor. It's not about your coworker. It's not about the person. I ran into somebody uh, at work recently that was talking to me. And right in the middle of what they were saying, this is a female, they were talking to me and they said, uh, yeah, I was talking to my wife the other day. I said, <laughs> I was like, you, huh? I was like, maybe I didn't hear you right. I didn't say that to them, but they kept talking. And immediately I felt like this spirit next to me that was like, what are you going to do, Spears? <laughs> you, you're going to talk to you? Him? Oh, yeah. You're going to talk to him about it? You're going to tell him your thoughts about it? You're going to quote scripture? What you got to do? I was like, I, I'm just trying to make sure I heard what I heard correctly. That's the first thing I'm going to do. <laughs> so they said it like two more times. And as I'm standing there looking at them, I knew that we were going to be talking about what we're talking about this month. And Uh it was an interesting place because it's one thing to deal with these ideas. It's another thing to deal with the person who holds these ideas. Absolutely. And you have to be able to distinguish between the two. I am firmly against the ideas of homosexuality. I mean, just look at the the homosexual manifesto if you need a booster for why I might have some issues with it. Uh But I'm not against the person. Like the person isn't my problem. The spirit that engenders the idea is my problem. Uh I hope people catch that distinction. Right? Because that's what we, we have to understand. You know, 
we're going to be out here in the thick of it. This is not in any way a child's place. This, this is not a game. This is real world stuff. You know, you and I constantly talk about with people, the only people we know who advocate for a homosexual position are people that are the result of heterosexual decisions. Yeah. Right. We have to remember, like, this is real world stuff. <laughs> it is. We're not playing with like little firecrackers, man. This is this is sticks of dynamite. This is C4. This is quite potentially, you know, atomic level stuff that we're dealing with. And it's For absolutely sure. no time to play around. We have to be grounded. We have to be sober minded. We have to be educated on the stuff we got. We got to talk about uh, some of us out here might even benefit from a hard awakening that comes from one of those good old fashioned safety briefings. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. You know, something like this. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls flies or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes if you wish to survive you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude you got to obey the rules you got to obey the rules love it gets me charged every time <laughs> you look what? like it <laughs> I am. I'm all excited. I'm especially excited about rule number one. So rule number one is educate yourself, right? Yep. You got to know your war doctrine. Got to know what the Bible says. This is how you develop a strong mental aptitude. I've got to ask, have you looked over this part of the notes yet? Uh, Briefly. Briefly? Yep. Okay. I don't know. As as your your younger brother, I'm always trying to impress you and be like, you know, oh, I hadn't thought of that before. So, let me show you what I got. All right, hit it. So, Scripture tells us his intended design, right? And we know this. So, we go to Genesis 1, 27, 28. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Like, we've all heard that a bunch of times, right? Right. And I was going into it, reading over it, you know, trying to figure out how it actually fits into this argumentation that we have and not a kind of battered, overused, Christianese kind of way, right? Okay. Thinking about it, and one of the arguments is that gender roles are created, right? That there's the, the sex of a person, and even, I mean, that's being debated now. But the gender roles are created so we can do with them what we want, yeah? Okay. Well, I got thinking about that, and I was like, well, it's a lot like currency. Because you could say that currency is created, right? You can. It is. But currency holds its most amount of value when it's actually based on actual assets. Hmm. Gender rules can differ a little bit from culture to culture, year to year, whatever. But the thing that gives them their, their, their quality or their value is the fact that it's rooted in God's design that he created a male and female and designed them to do so in order to be fruitful. So if we look at what happens with currency, once you start doing fractional reserve banking, right, you start lending out a little bit more than you really got. I mean, it's very similar to, to buying into this homosexual idea. 
Then you get transgenderism, which is fiat currency. There's there's no assets. There's no reserves. It's not based on anything. We're just out here doing whatever we want. Every single time that happens, the system collapses. Bro, that's crazy. I didn't read over none of this section. Okay. <laughs> that's dope. Isn't it, though? I was like, yeah. that's crazy. I didn't see that. That is dope. So it's literally Satan's doing the same thing. Yeah. Removing humanity from the gold standard that's derived from what God says. Uh-huh. And putting them on a false standard. Exactly. Until they collapse under the yep. debt of their sin. That's it. That's <laughs> wild. Why didn't you that's lead nuts, with that? Right? Lead with that next time. We need I've this been whole sitting episode. excited here the whole episode. I'm like, I can't wait to spring this on Jason. <laughs> oh, that is wild. Yeah, yeah. Scripture goes on to warn us that nobody's intentionally wrong, but that doesn't make you right. So Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way of death. And I don't think, I mean, again, I don't think anybody's out here intentionally going, well, I know this is stupid and I know this, I mean, the elites or whatever, you know, those that are being influenced by Nephilim and and, and demons or whatever. But ground level people aren't trying to be like, oh yeah, this is really bad and I'm going to do it. Or I know this is the the wrong thing and and, going to keep going. Like More so, it's just, I I feel this way. This feels right. This feels natural. This feels, but, even but, if it doesn't feel right or natural, this feels good. Yeah. That's probably about as far for the average person as they take it. Uh-huh. But it's dangerous because even if it seems right, it can seem right to you, but it can lead to death. Facts. Facts. And we have to be humble enough to submit ourselves under something else. That's why we have the time-tested word of God comes to our rescue and we can rely on the standards for living and morality that are set up and known to be true and known to be accurate, whether or not they make us comfortable or they feel right, we can know that they're right. It's also why we have to engage with others who disagree with us. And we have to actually move the standard back. Because as you pointed before, if the standard is being moved off of gold and it is now fiat, we got to push about being moved back to gold. Yeah, got to get it back on that gold standard. Exactly. It has to go back to what has God said. This is why the argument of evolution is so critical. It's not just this quote unquote scientific idea that just rests within the, the, the realm of scientism. It is much bigger than that. If you replace God, so goes his edicts. So goes the things he said. So goes the intrinsic value instilled in the things he's created. Right? All of that goes and Uh is off the table. And now, as as we know from scientific principle, principle, nature abhors a vacuum. So something has to fill that space. You better be Uh darn careful what you allow to fill that space. Oh, yeah. More so, you shouldn't be trying to fill the space. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Because then these things become critical. These are the offshoots that you don't see. If we no longer are on a gold standard, what are we on? Well, I mean, that, that was Nietzsche's whole point. Like, everyone takes his whole God is dead statement out of context. Right. He, he was saying God is dead and we killed him. Now what? 
Like there's all this stuff that has to be filled now. What are we going to do about it? Right. Nietzsche did have some other uh, provocative ideas and he did die insane. He did. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should, that, that he was right on everything, okay. but, but this, if this, this isn't a philosophy that we've come up with. You know, there are people this, this is, <laughs> no, I'm just saying this is, this is a, a known thing that has been accepted by philosophers for a while right. that the, the lay just doesn't even think about anymore. Right. Once you dethrone God from that position, something has to fill its space. And it's usually, it's always going to be worse. Right, right. But, but we it, don't take the time to think about that. Right, and it doesn't always apparently present itself that way. Like, it takes time. And by time, it I does. don't mean like it takes a few months or it takes a few years. It typically takes decades or generations to see certain changes roll out. Yeah, that's one of the reasons it's so critical to get our information from someone who has been here before and longer than us. Now, all that exactly. does is just disqualify us from getting our information from a human being because there are celestial entities <laughs> that fit that that qualifier I just gave. Right. But I, I'm saying not to listen to all celestial beings. I'm saying recognize our limitations as human beings and be very careful who we listen to. Like you yes. said, the reason we, the reason. One of the reasons we listen to God is this is a time-tested word that has withstood multiple attacks and keeps on going. Yes. You got a choice of what you listen to. You're going to listen to the new angel you just heard about or the person who's been there under attack for eons and is still rolling. I'm yep. going with the eons person. Yep, me too. I'm right there with you. Right. <laughs> but the other thing the scripture does is it anticipates the, the price of following Jesus. And this is another completely, terribly unpopular idea, right? Uh, we can skip past this because as soon as you said price, <laughs> I was like, ah! Exactly. There, there's not an affirmed version of, of Christianity. Right. <laughs> you mean you one where you can pay later. over time? Yeah. <laughs> pay a little later, a little bit here, a little there. That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself. And we again, we talked about there's a difference between believing and following. And if you're following Jesus, if you're a, a thinking believer, a serious follower, it requires that you deny yourself. That's the gateway that the enemy often takes to try to get access to us. How do you mean? If you're not denying yourself, well, first off, the Bible sets up this, this I want to call it a paradox. I don't think that's the right word, but this parallel reality. You have, for a Christian, you have your, the spirit of God resident in you, and you also have uh -huh. your corrupted flesh that is within you, your natural nature, your natural inclinations that have been, unfortunately, twisted under the rulership of the serpent. Okay. Right? So that thing, your sensual side, is normally the gateway that the that that the serpent uses to get your buy-in to what he has and what he offers. That's what puts you in spiritual relationship with him. So okay. it's normally take a look at what happened with Eve. You know, it was the fact that the fruit looked good. Okay. Yeah. Right? She had a certain per per perception. It was good for food. And it was something that would make her wise. It's going gotcha. through her senses. 
particularly normally it's the eye gate. That's where we're probably our most vulnerable. But there are different appeals to our senses that the enemy uses to trick us up. And one of those is right. pleasure. You know, this feels good. There's no way. Yeah. This feels so good. It can't be wrong. <laughs> it can't be wrong. It feels good. Right. Because all that has to be submitted to Christ. Mm-hmm. It all has to be filtered through there. And I mean, I messed it up. The, the church, I think, has definitely messed it up. But stacking failure on top of failure is not the answer. Just because there's been mistakes in Christianity, just because we've made mistakes, doesn't mean that we can then justify or promote the continuance of that. Right. You know, we all have desires, feelings, passions, plans, thoughts, ideas that that have got to be given up and submitted to Jesus, nailed to the cross, whatever that vernacular is. And I think that we also have the responsibility to do whatever is is necessary to stand against a society that champions our fleshly desires as well. Absolutely. That was what the whole salt and light thing was. One of the principal characteristics of salt was that it slows down decay. If society is in a state of moral decay, you need the salt that comes from Jesus Christ to slow down that decay process. It is a a grace, a life-preserving mechanism that, that, that Christ has entrusted to the church to do. But if we're not willing to be the church, if we're not willing to not necessarily go to the four wall building on Sundays, that's not what I mean. I mean, if we're not willing to actually engage culture, engage our friends, engage the strangers and engage our neighbors and in conversation, because that's where a lot of the idea swapping is done. It's through the art of conversing. If we're not willing to get into those uncomfortable and often, um, inconvenient situations, then we can't really offer the salt. Right? We gotta you pour yeah. salt in wounds to stop decay. But that means you gotta go to the place. Oh. I know, right? Every time <laughs> I, I think about that, I think about that scene in Lethal Weapon. Like the first Lethal Weapon where Danny Glover, I think he got shot in his arm or something like that. And they poured some salt in there and he started screaming. Uh-huh. I didn't understand as a kid what I was witnessing until I got older and I was like, oh that sounds painful. <laughs> Yeah. Right. But you got to be at the painful place to do that. You got to be at the place where we're willing to be inconvenienced and we're willing to have some of these conversations with people. That's how you disseminate the salt that comes from Christ. That's how we start slowing this decay. What we can't do is just accept and wish it to go away. It's not going away. It's going to get progressively worse unless we stand up and say no. This is crazy. This right. is wrong. This, in some in some cases, some things, we might even need to say, this is a mental health issue. Yes. This is legitimately a problem. I'm not uh-huh. here to validate your feelings. If you were gonna, if you were worried about a person's feelings, you wouldn't pour salt in the wound because it hurts. Rule number two is where you don't cede any ground to your enemy. All right. Now, this is always cool for me because, you know, last week we released the episode where we were talking about uh, Medal of Honor and being up on the mountain and taking that type of fire. Right. Such a great segment that you did. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Thanks, man. I had a blast with that one. I was like, I think I want to go get that game. But anyway, (laughs) any of those type of scenes with war movies where you're under fire and you start shooting back. I love I've been playing Ghost Recon lately. And uh, the other day, not the other day, yesterday. Um, 
before we <laughs> did the, the call with Drew, I took a few moments and relaxed. And I got into this okay. massive firefight. I mean, massive. I had two, cho- I had three choppers ahead of me on, on top uh, with uh, four guys in it. They're shooting down at me. One of the choppers had missiles, so they're shooting in at, at my group on the ground. And then I got ground troops that I'm dealing with. And I mean, I'm shooting, I'm unloading on them. I got like a hundred round clip. Switch max, my other dude came in, pat, pat, pat. I was like, yes, this is great. I love it. There is something <laughs> about being able to return fire that is therapeutic to me. Okay. Right. Right. You don't want to just be under fire. You need to be able to return fire. Rule number two yeah. says you don't cede any ground. It's built on the implication that you are taking ground. Else there would be no ground to cede. And I think that's important for us to realize as a body, we should be taking ground all the time. Personally, yes. socially, and globally, we should be taking ground. Because if we're not taking ground, then ground is being taken from us. And that violates the second rule. You don't give back any ground to your enemy. The Bible gives us the authorization to take the fight to the enemy, not to the people, but to the enemy. What do you do? Ephesians 5 tells you, first thing, you expose their position. You have no fellowship with the, with the works of darkness, but you expose them. The, the, the homosexual manifesto is an example of why we went over that is exposing light on that. You know, Frank Turk's book, uh, Correct, Not Politically Correct, is what happens when you expose light. It's a great example of exposing light on what the enemy is doing. You yeah. know, once you expose it, then you have to oppose it. You got to resist it. James 5, 7 tells you, subject yourself to the authority of Scripture and then use the Scripture's authority to resist the devil. All right? You don't get out here and just resist to be resisting, nor do you resist in your own manner. Right? It tells you clearly, you subject yourself to the authority of Scripture, which means you have to find out how does Scripture tell you to engage these things. And then you engage them under that authority within those limitations in order to resist the devil, not in order to win an argument, not in order to belittle a person, not in order to to, um, disabuse someone of their humanity or their inherent value or worth that the creator said about them. It's not what you do. You go after the idea and the spirit behind the idea with the hope that you can free the person from the bondage of accepting an idea that they may not be able to see the true danger within. And then lastly, you dispose of what the enemy is doing. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, demolish. Do you understand demolish is not just throw a pebble over? (laughs) Okay, demolish is not just throw a rock and run away. When you demolish something, you turn it into complete rubble. All right, that's like sending a Maverick missile inside of a building or a paveway, which is like 2,000-pound bomb. You demolish it. There should be nothing left by the time we get done with these ideas. Shouldn't be any possibility of that idea standing on its own. You demolish every argument, again, not persons, the argument and pretension that sets itself up against what God has said is true and keeps people from knowing him. It's not about, again, winning an argument. It's about freeing people from the bondage that comes from these works that the enemy has put in place that operate in obscurity and in darkness because, unfortunately, too oftentimes we don't want to expose them. 
we don't want to risk what exposing will cause us to risk. Frank Turk talked about that book alone. He got fired from two Fortune 500 companies for writing it. Did he really? Yeah. That's nuts. That writing cost him two jobs. Now, I'm not wishing that on someone. I know if I said something and it got out and it cost me my job, yo, that's, that's rough. And don't get another one and it cost you that job. Jeez. Right? But if he hadn't written it, we wouldn't be able to have this. Right. It, it it's, costs, it's a great book. It is. It, it costs to do this. And we got to be willing to pay that cost. That's part of the ground that we, we don't give up. And then, of course, that takes you to rule number three because you got to ask, how do you pay that cost? How do you maintain the ground? You got to do two things. You got to pray like it's all up to God and you got to work like it's all up to you. Yeah. What would you recommend people pray, bro? Um, for this, I think we should pray that we get that we have supernatural compassion and boldness. You got to have both of those. That's good. Because there are people, like we were saying, people that are are part of this, that are on that train, that are just being abused and used by the agenda pushers and the, and the dark forces. Mm-hmm. We need to have compassion for them while we have the boldness to stand against it. I think it's important. I would agree. I think we should also pray against those that are pulling the strings. You know, as we find ourselves and as, as God gives opportunity you know, pray against the deception and, and, and all of those things. There's there's many tiers of deception and control that are that are happening. But those those spirits that are behind it, I think we should pray against those. I would agree. I also think that one of the things we should we should pray for is the awareness for people's eyes to be open to see what they are dealing with. Scripture says that 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 the enemy, the God of this world, which would be the serpent. Um, has blinded the eyes of people that have bought into what you and I call the the control matrix. And so their eyes need to be open to see what it is really is going on. Now, I in no way think that The Matrix is a Christian film. In no way. But there are a couple <laughs> moments where the things that are depicted are beneficial for uh, metaphoric use. And there is yeah. a scene where Neo wakes up out of this pod and he looks around and he sees just a field of pods, right? Uh-huh. Now he's waking up to see really what his reality is, what it was. That's yeah. what we have to pray happens to people. That they wake up out of this spiritual slash digital um false reality overlay that they are under, and that they become aware of the fact that they are being lied to, that they're being manipulated that they're being intimidated, that they're under the domination of a hand or a architect, to use the, the Matrix movie terminology, that does uh-huh. not want them to realize these, this reality and this truth. I think we have That's to good. pray for that. Doing for sure. it the way Absolutely. that you talked about with compassion and when necessary, confronting with boldness. Yeah. That was good. Thanks, man. I think when it comes to work, we really need to be to speak out, and it's getting more and more dangerous to do that. Like and not work? belligerent. Well, I mean, <laughs> where, wherever wisdom says, okay, you know, okay, okay, I can roll with that. And 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 not belligerently, but thoughtfully, and and for the good of those that hear it, not just because you know what's right and you're trying to to stand on a pedestal. 
but because there's really people out here that are being hurt, that are being taken advantage of, and you're trying to help. Like that needs to be the 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 push behind speaking out and how you do it thoughtfully. Yeah, I think people have got to ask for discernment from the Holy Spirit if you're going to do that. But you can't confuse asking for discernment with the cowardice approach of not wanting to engage. Oh, that's good. Right? Don't think that I don't want to really have this conversation, so I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, should I? (laughs) And I didn't hear anything, so I'm going to leave. Oh, thank God. Thank you for not telling me about the Lord, because I really didn't want to talk about that. Like We have to be prepared to have that unfortunate conversation. I know the feeling that happens when you know it's going to happen. You're like, dang on it. I was in here for juju beans. <laughs> it was all I was trying to get. Yeah. I don't want to talk about this right now. It, yeah, it usually comes at the most unopportune moment. Right. But you also don't know where that person is and their willingness to accept or hear an idea. Right. Right. You have to be wise about it. Now, what that does not mean, do not be silly and stupid about it. Just because somebody tells you that they're gay is not the time to sit up, especially at work, and try to espouse a six-point plan reason for why this is bad. <laughs> not right. smart. No, There are rare at times at maybe your job where you may have that opportunity, but you have to be incredibly sensitive and incredibly discerning. That's the wrong order. You need to be incredibly discerning to the Holy Spirit's voice and, and his prompting. And incredibly, um, what was the other word I used? I don't don't think it was considerate. I forget the other word. But you have to also be incredibly careful on how you deliver that message. Yes. Because we are in a world where they are tightening down on this. The enemy is tightening on any sort of pushback from this. Yeah. You can stand and work and promote homosexuality far easier than you can talking against it. So it's not even playing ground. Oh, yeah. I was, excuse me, I was talking to my mom about it and some of the stuff that we were going to cover. She's like, you could never say that in school. Yeah, I believe that. I've got to tell you, there have been times I've been involved in conversations. I was involved in a couple, um, even like when we worked together. And uh-huh. I was involved in one, I was involved in one conversation with one manager that covered politics and sexuality in the same conversation. Wow. Now, I, was, I had also submitted my resignation letter, but I was still, <laughs> I was still cracking up. Then I was like, that's a double landmine. Oh, yeah. Like, we got done with the conversation. It, 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 was, a pretty, um, it was a pretty good back and forth, right? But there's mutual respect. Uh-huh. But it was a pretty good back and forth. We got done, and we both just chuckled, and I was like, did we just have a conversation about politics and sexuality? And they were like, yep. <laughs> and I was like, dance through those raindrops. I'm not doing that again. Yeah, that's nuts. Right? But there there are ways to have it, but it's got to be a Holy Spirit-initiated time. And right. that's okay. You know, looking for that proper time is important. Being, being ready so that when he drops a dime and says, go, we're willing to do it without hesitation that's the real effort on our end that we have to constantly work at. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that we need to do is that we need to learn what the Bible says about these things. Because far too often I see people responding in their emotions on both sides. Oh, that grosses me out. Oh, I don't get it. Oh, it just makes me feel weird. Those are not good arguments to, to, to stand on. Right. That's not going to walk. We just can't rely on our emotion. 
No, you really can't. If you're a follower of Christ, you've got to know what the Bible says and make your stance on that, not how you feel about a particular issue. This one or any other one. Right. And once you've done that, I think you can share the show. Always keep, one of my favorite things for people to do. Yeah, keep on sharing the show. That I need to change my vernacular there right. because people keep sharing it and, it and it's wonderful. So thank you for sharing it. Thank you for joining our Patreon. If you've if you've done that, it it means the world to us. It's awesome that you're there. If you haven't joined, maybe you could consider. And I would say, please do. And y'all, I mean, let's be real. We're talking three tiers from five to ten bucks. We're not saying join for the money. One of the things I love the most is the interaction I get with the people that are that listen, especially yeah. on Patreon because it's a, it's a different environmental uh, community. Right? People, yeah, it is. They interact more. They share more. And it is so encouraging to hear how some of the stuff we talk about plays in that part of the world where that person's at. Uh -huh. I love it. That's like, I, I wish more people would join that than Instagram. Because it's, okay. a, it's a better place to have those type of conversations. Yeah, and when my dad passed... Everyone on Patreon was super cool, super supportive. Right. It, it, it was really helpful. Yeah, yeah. That was awesome. But now people might be thinking, you said five, ten bucks. I mean, I might join, but I need to know, what am I getting for the monies? <laughs> well, for the five buck tier, five dollar tier, it's cover fire. Gives you all the links and resources that we use to make an episode and access to all full-length versions of our episodes and any bonus ones if we have bonus episodes. You get all that for five bucks. It's not bad. Right. You want to step it up a little bit? we got the Overwatch tier for seven bucks. That gives you everything in the first tier, plus you get access to our actual notes that we used while doing the episode. And there's all kinds of nuggets and stuff that are in there that, that usually don't make it on the show. Top tier operators, bring the rain, 10 bucks, everything in the first two tiers, plus the opportunity to participate in a monthly Zoom call with Jason and I. And those are dynamite. Those I mean, are great. How could you resist a monthly Zoom call with both of us? <laughs> I'm just saying, people pay to be in this position. You might as well become one of those people. Yeah, it's great. It's a good place to be. Right. <laughs> But here's the last thing that you can do. Remind yourself of what scripture tells us, which is we are never alone and we're not fighting alone. God has promised to never leave us. And we have a community of believers, Patreon, Instagram, wherever, all over the world, a community and an, a God who actually intervenes on our behalf. Because one day the satanic agendas that parade themselves around as tolerance will not be an issue. One day we will have new bodies that aren't going to lead us astray. And one day we will be able to know and live in perfect love. But until then, we are deployed to this dystopian rock by our savior in chief, the very one that's commissioned us on a seesaw. That's right. We're on a combat search and rescue mission here, people. And be advised, the hostages we're after are likely to be hostile towards us. But you know what? We still got to go get them. Now our task in order is simple. We're to search for and rescue anyone that can be sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. And make no mistake, we will be operating in a hostile environment, but the rules of engagement are clear. Listen up, you take fire, I expect you to get fire. 
Now I need you to keep your head on a swivel out there. You stay frosty, stay faithful, and above all, you stay in the fight. That means do not give up, because we're counting on you. You ain't alone out there. We're fighting right next to you, and we'll see you out there again fighting on the front line. 10-4. Forget to come back next week where we cover part two of the series and we're going to deal with the arguments that support gay marriage. You don't want to miss that. So we'll see you back here next week. Yeah.